This is the moment you've all been waiting for. It's time for the Steak for Breakfast podcast. It's Friday, January 27th, 2023, and this is the People's Podcast. This is Steak for Breakfast. Smokey, this is not Nam. This is bowling. There are rules. Today, Junior, America! Steak for breakfast! So stand by! This episode of the podcast is brought to you, as always, by Man Rubs. Rubs, barbecue tools, blowtorches, t-shirts, coffee cups, and all-around barbecue-related gear for you to make barbecue great again. Can be found at manrubs.com and on Instagram, manrubs. Use the code STEAK15 for 15% off. The Pillow King of Minnesota and the apparatus known as the MyPillow family still have up to an 80% off clearance sale going on. In addition to that, you can pick up some MyPillow classics, the Air Lindells version 1 and 2, My Slippers. My dog beds and Giza dream everything when you enter promo code steak at checkout. If you're more of a morning person, they've launched my coffee. It's available in the bean, the bag, and the pod. You enter promo code steak here, you're getting 25% off your total order, 50% off when you make it a monthly subscription. MyPillow.com forward slash steak for anything sleep related. If you want the coffee, mystore.com forward slash steak, or you can always talk to a qualified pillow representative, 1 800 658 8045. The top tier of ear gear and the world's most technologically advanced in-studio recording equipment specializing in headphones can only be found at Odyssey. Whether you're gaming, potting, still getting used to it? Get those ear needs taken care of and done upright. Odyssey.com is the website. You can find them on Facebook and Instagram as well. Friends, don't forget to follow the show on Instagram at Steak for Podcast Breakfast. There you'll find a link tree that'll take you to all our social medias, the website, our newest Substack, Telegram channel, and more. On that note, to everyone joining us today from the Republican High Command, Instagram, Discord, and now via our verified accounts on Twitter, Getter, and True Social. Welcome. Friday edition, Steak for Breakfast podcast, episode 208. I'm Roan. Noah's here. Yo. Antoinette's off. Found Kobe's in to do the news with us today. Guys, we've got a packed lineup and a ton of news. So let's get things started. All right, joining us first on the show today with a special report. She's an author, a podcast host, and apparently she's an international correspondent for Steve Bannon's War Rooms. One of our great friends, one of our all-time favorite guests, Ms. Norbin Laden. Thanks for joining us back on the show. Thanks for having me, as always. I love being on with you guys. We love hosting you. How's everything going with you? You had a busy uh, week and a half or so up there in uh, where you're at. You you made some Rove reporting uh, segments from Davos and uh, got to see a lot of the stuff that was going on with the World Economic Forum while they were up there plotting our demise. Uh, what are some of the biggest takeaways that you got from the week that was up there? And uh, how alarming or scary was it to uh, hear some of their newest and, uh, well, dastardly plans? So I think the main point that I'd like to make from the outset is that we have to look at this week that takes place in Davos, the annual meeting of the World Economic Forum, as essentially a giant press conference. Um, And as I refer to it, a controlled reveal of the plans that they have for us. And what I mean by that is 
that these plans have been laid out and devised many years ago, decades ago, if not longer. And uh, this is the rollout for us plebs to know what's about to hit us, basically. And so uh, in that vein, I mean, we weren't disappointed with the different panels that were taking place throughout the week. And the main theme, you know, just there were several key themes, but the main one I think they focused on was climate change and how they're going to use climate change uh, to um, herald this new society where everything is digitized. So as I've been saying, you know, in the reporting last week, uh, climate change is very much the biggest Trojan horse that is coming along. We had the so-called COVID pandemic, and obviously that's not over because they're talking about uh, rolling out more and more, quote, vaccines, you know, poisonous jabs. Um, And all of this basically ties into the core plan, which is the centralization of power via the digitization of all aspects of society. And they're going to use uh, mainly COVID and such, quote, pandemics and climate change as excuses to digitize all aspects of our lives, for us to have digital IDs, to have um, carbon ratios, etc., basically social credit score systems as we see in China. Nor, as I've been tracking the World Economic Forum for years and and done it more in-depthly since we started the podcast, it's been one of our probably legacy news story, even even before we got into doing just kind of beltway and geopolitics on a biweekly basis here, we were always covering stuff like that because not only is it interesting to, to see how all the evil villains of the world kind of operate, but at the same time, you know, what they have planned for us. Now, when you mentioned uh, this is stuff that, that probably came to plan years, if not decades ago, do you think it's the great advancements in technology we're making now, which is allowing them to more rapidly uh, extend this Trojan horse uh, through things like, you know, climate change, everybody wants to save the planet, nobody wants the planet to be dead. But now with like, you know, digital passports, vaccine passports, social credit systems and stuff like that? Absolutely. Uh, that is such a great question. Because, uh, as we've been talking about, these plans have been uh, devised long ago, but we are in the final stages of their implementation, thanks, as you just mentioned, to the advances in technology and the progress that has been made in, you know, IoT, Internet of Things, 5G devices, um, and uh, digital currencies. All of this fits together, and I've been discussing or mentioning this term rather several times uh, while doing my reporting on on the WEF last week, but we need to to register this term. It's metrology, which is the science of measurement. And the idea is that thanks to technology, they will be able to measure everything everywhere at all times and just basically transform our society into into a massive surveillance state. Yeah, this isn't talking about something like TikTok where they just kind of gather some of your data based off like likes and shares or or things that people are, are checking out. This goes more into like everything from your current health status, maybe even your vaccine status, like where you work, constant geolocation tracking and things of that nature. Absolutely. It's the eradication of all form of freedom and independence you see what is very alarming is what's going on actually in the UK and Oxford with some form of like climate lockdowns being 
uh, tried and tested over there, they will be able to monitor and regulate our movements even under uh, the guise of, quote, protecting the planet. Yeah, this isn't going to be some of the instances we've seen here in the United States where like maybe they uh, raise your thermostat a couple degrees or or have rolling burnouts or I'm sorry, brownouts. This will be like the actual implementation of if the government's feeling like the planet's not having a bad day, don't plan on doing very much outside of the scope of what they can pretty much say what you can do, where you can go or probably even what you can eat or like buy at the stores, correct? Absolutely. We will effectively be put into digital jails under this new system. It's highly alarming, mm. to say the least. I know Noah's looking pretty uh, flabbergasted by this report right now. I don't want any of that. <laughs> I don't think any of us do. And uh, nor we are really appreciative of the fact that you brought us you know, a, a little bit of insight on it. What were some of the... Uh, Biggest takeaways in regards to uh, some of the leaders that you saw there. I mean, leadership uh, kind of on a whole across the globe right now. We're not seeing a whole lot of alpha males or females or, or absolute chads out there. We're seeing a lot of everybody kind of wants to just get involved. Everybody has to stop Russia. Everybody has to stop climate change. Everybody has to make do with less because of the global supply chain issues and, and, and things of that nature. Everybody has to drive less because, you know, we're, we're destroying the planet with, uh, you know, the way we get fuel out of it and stuff like that as far as leadership goes did it seem like everybody was on board or did you see at least even in small instances any kind of pushback from this narrative a la when donald trump was there in 2018 you know you exactly what you just said meanwhile they fly in with their <laughs> private planes and their choppers uh but it's a two-tier system and these people, there is something that is very important to note. They're minions themselves. They've been tasked with um, the rollout of these plans in exchange for some privileges. And these people willingly signed on. So the people that we view as our leaders are actually not leaders. They're, they, they're just soldiers that have been put in place who have willingly accepted this role in order to then further enslave us, the plebs. And so there is no pushback because they've essentially made a deal with the devil uh, so that they can enjoy their Wagyu beef, they can enjoy their boats and their planes while we get um, we get the bugs and the pods. Damn it. Yeah, it, all their all their stuff. It's like they're they're talking about all the uh the fake meats and everything, and then you look at the menu, and it's just like, well, this is like a really nice restaurant they're eating at right now. Yeah, and everything's a la carte. You know, one of the things that we've been talking about on the show the last couple of weeks, Nora, as we covered the World Economic Forum up there, was that, uh, you know, where people, especially after the COVID lockdowns, they were a little bit more reluctant to get into the pods. So one of the things we're talking about, those advancements in technology and now how they're skewing that as kind of an incentive towards their narrative of, of global dominance and, and us all kind of locked into the box here was, you know, things like the video games with the, you know, there's the advancements in AI and then you have like the things like the Oculus instead of like, living in the pod, you're still living in the house, but you're living in the pod inside of like an Oculus device. And, and people were, you know, the metaverse thing was, was a huge uh, underlying narrative throughout the course of the entire forum. And well, you uh, need a smaller pod when you're living inside your brain. There you go. But it's one of the, you're it's one of the things, right. yeah, they, it's being pushed all over the world. What did you think about that? No, you're absolutely right. And actually uh, meta had a huge, um, how would you say pavilion in, in Davos to, um, welcome different guests of the 
of the annual meeting. And you're absolutely right. There were several panels and transhumanism and um, AI is very much a key feature of this conference, although they didn't bring out Yuval Arari uh, this year for some reason. Um, I think he freaked out en enough people <laughs> with his outspoken messages. Yeah. And uh, in the same way that, that they've refrained from using the term Great Reset because it's become so tainted, perhaps there is a, a slight effort to to adapt nomenclature and to soften uh, some of the messaging. Yeah, it certainly is. It seems like whenever they... It's like, we really like what you're doing, but people don't like what you're saying, so we're just going to hide you in the back. You know, sexual harassment is real in the metaverse, too. <laughs> <laughs> and it's, it's it's so silly, but but the fact of the matter is is that we have true patriots, uh, regardless of their location. You were right, literally at the front door reporting, and, and we're here out in the United States reporting, and we're all on the same tier team here in regards to slowing down this narrative and hoping to get some good leadership back in places, especially like the United States in the next election. We, we'd all like to see Donald Trump come back and push back even harder on all of these, you know, ridiculous policies that do nothing but hurt everyone across the board. And, and like you said, at some point, just make us subservient minions that while they eat the steaks, we get the garbage. <laughs> so nor we're going to be looking to bring you back soon. This was, I can't think of a better way to start off our show today uh, with a recap of Davos. And then, you know, the next thing that you've got working on, we're going to connect and we're going to bring you back. We'll get a full report. We'll get you in to do a little bit of the news and we'll have a little bit more of a formal segment with you on uh, Steak for Breakfast as our listenership's more accustomed to. But for anyone that's not following you across social media or wants to see some of your work, listen to your podcast, where are you at? So we could live link it in the show description today. Well, first of all, thanks so much for having me for this quick recap. Um, and we'll do something, yeah, for sure, uh, once uh, we get to digest all the videos and the clips that are coming out. Um, if, uh, your audience can find me uh, on Twitter at Norbin Laden, also getter at Norbin Laden. My website is norbinladen.com. And uh, the podcast is norbinladencalls.podbean.com. I tell you what, it's been a while since we've had this lovely lady on, but we had Ren on recently, the Raw Egg Nationalist, and it was an amazing segment with him. And here comes Norman Laden trumping with another amazing segment from her. This is one of our great friends, roving reporter, author, journalist, podcast host, Norman Laden. Thanks for joining us on the show today. Thank you, guys. Speak soon. Master in Mar-a-Lago um, for withholding hundreds of millions of dollars in military aid from Ukraine, a nation that was even then at war with Russia, in order to extort that country into helping Donald Trump's re-election campaign. Uh, we proved those facts and got the first bipartisan vote in the Senate in history to remove a president. Um, Kevin McCarthy calls that a hoax. Um, well, it was not a hoax. Um, but he will do the former president's bidding. He is entirely reliant on the former president. Uh, and this is something the former president wants. Um, but. Uh, I can assure you that if the former president or Kevin McCarthy believes that this is going to stop any of us uh, from fighting to protect our democracy, um, they're going to find out uh, uh, that the opposite is true. It only will intensify our commitment to doing so. Uh, I do want to mention, uh, with respect to Mr. Swalwell also, that I, as he indicated, I sat in on that briefing. Um, and when Kevin McCarthy misrepresents it um, and uh, and does that uh, uh, disservice the American people? It's shameful. Um, uh, Mr. Swalwell has served honorably on our committee. He's never been accused of any kind of wrongdoing. Um, this is a patently unfair smear. 
by Mr. McCarthy, but that's, that's what he traffics in. Tell about somebody else. So this is purely about political vengeance. The cost is not only removing us from the committee, on the Intelligence Committee, the cost is not only breaking, shattering the most precious glassware in the cabinet, a committee that's always been bipartisan. The cost are the death threats that Ms. Omar, myself, and Mr. Schiff keep getting because Mr. McCarthy continues to aim and project these smears against us. Even though we have said publicly these smears are bringing death threats, he continues to do it, which makes us believe that there's an intent behind it. But we will not be quiet. We're not going away. I think he'll regret giving all three of us more time. So I do believe that when and if this vote uh, comes, it will be a moment of clarity. Um, and I hope that many of these Republicans will have conscience uh, and will not prove to their constituents and the American people just how much of um, partisan hacks they are, how much hypocrisy uh, that they have um, and the and show themselves to be a disgrace. I strongly support uh, the notion that Democrats, as the Steering and Policy Committee has done this week, should be able to put forward its slate of committee assignments, which includes Representative Ilhan Omar to Foreign Affairs, and that should be accepted by House Republicans. Any reaction from, from you from the White House um, about Speaker McCarthy's decision to keep Representative Schiff and Swaller from the Intelligence Committee? So I'll say this. Uh, Representative Schiff, Representative Swalwell, uh, and uh, also Repre uh, Representative uh, Omar are, um, you know, are expertise and bring a lot to the table when it comes to uh, foreign policy and national security. And we'll say this, uh, you know, uh, we'll say this, we'll say that, um, you know, when it comes to that committee, it should not be politicized. Uh, it should be independent. And, uh, and again, those congressional members bring a lot of expertise uh, to that committee, and uh, I'll leave it there. And that was the week that was for some now extremely disgruntled House Democrats, and this is Steak for Breakfast. Again, thank you for joining us today. If you're a longtime listener, welcome back. If you're just joining us for the first time, of course, welcome. Follow us across every social media platform. Just type in Steak for Breakfast Podcast. You'll find us. And... Uh, Apple Podcasts and Spotify, you want to find us there. Subscribe to the show, like it, rate it, leave a review, and all that good stuff so you can keep up with all things steak. So the Republican House is getting kicked off by doing a little house cleaning as the committee picture is coming into focus, and uh, it sounded like a whole bunch of coping and seething. What do you think, Noah? I like coping and seething usually, but it's probably better off when it's not counter counterproductive. Yeah, and in case you missed it, Elon Omar... Adam Schiff and Eric Swalwell were all booted off of the House Intel Committee. Elon Omar still remains on the Foreign Affairs Committee, and that's going to need a vote to get her off. But they've been whining about that for the last couple of days. So that's talk about the last person who should be on it. Exactly. Well, remember, and I saw Schiff's little angry message, like I got kicked off. Some people did some things. So <laughs> ugly. Um we're also going to be tracking the RNC chair vote today. If news breaks or the vote is finalized and we have either the same RNC chair or a new one, we'll be bringing you that information as well. Um, 
But yeah, Kevin McCarthy got off uh, uh, to a good start midweek here, um, realigning these committees and uh, reminding everybody that there's still over 200 Democrats who are eligible to join them. It's just not going to be people who have literally in the past compromised national security. Let's hear the Speaker of the House. What did Adam Schiff do as the chairman of the Intel Committee? What Adam Schiff did, use his power as a chairman and lie to the American public. Even the inspector general said it. When Devin Nunes put out a memo, he said it was false. When we had a laptop, he used it before an election to be politics and say that it was false and said it was the Russians. When he knew different, when he knew the Intel, if you talk to um, John Radcliffe, DNI, he came out ahead of time and says there's no intel to prove that, and he used his position as chairman, knowing he has information the rest of America does not, and lied to the American public. When a whistleblower came forward, he said he, he did not know the individual, even though his staff had met with him and set it up. So no, he does not have a right to sit on that. But I will not be like Democrats and play politics with these, where they removed Republicans from committees and all committees. So yes, he can serve on a committee, but he will not serve on intel, because it goes to the national security of America. And I will always put them first. All right? All right. Mm. There was a lot of Kevin McCarthy energized eyes memes going around social media. He's, uh, you know, pushing back on the legacy media for saying, now this is a, a tit for tat or a repercussion for what happened to. He, he talked about the committee members from last term. We know that it's uh, Arizona Representative Paul Gosar and, of course, Georgia Representative Marjorie Taylor Greene. Um, Marjorie Taylor Greene was kicked off for you know, a, a myriad of things that the Democrats accused her of. And then, of course, Rep. Gosar was kicked off of his committees for sharing an anime video that uh, depicted him as, like, a really buff shogun decapitating <laughs> AOC and Nancy Pelosi and that was, such. That was a good one. I it like was. But uh, I, I think when you just look at the black and white of it, things that, you know, the Republicans were accused of in the last session and what's different between the 108th and where we're getting started of – is the legitimate compromising of national security. I mean, Adam Schiff's resume in regards to why he should not be on the Intelligence Committee is extremely long and extremely documented. He's lied under oath to Congress, to the media, leaked stuff that's classified information to the Washington Post and the New York Times, etc. I just don't understand how that shit flies nowadays. Like, I mean, they're going to go after, let's say, the last sitting president for the most minuscule of violation are you talking about perfect phone calls yeah <laughs> and not even a violation just mm -hmm. they're just going after him just in general but and then these people literally caught red-handed lying under oath and we're not gonna do anything about it i don't know if it's gonna pass but just yesterday florida congressman matt gates who should finally be joining the show next week let's hold our breaths um introduced a resolution on the house floor called the pencil act which would prohibit Adam Schiff from wow. ever being Pencil neck? allowed to look at classified information <laughs> ever again. Uh, oh. They all went out and said, like, oh, we've got more time in our hands. Get ready for us to start making you know, problems in the House for Republicans, this, that, and the other thing. And within six hours of that, Adam Schiff announced that he will be abandoning his House seat and entering the senatorial race in California. Ugh. We don't need California to get any worse. Come on. Which is funny, but also sad because based off the fact that it is California, we can almost 100% mm -hmm. call that race if he can make it through the, uh, well, right now, Katie Porter's in the race with him, and so is the uh, current sitting uh, Senator here, but we will have Senator shift probably in, in the next election cycle. So 
Texas Senator Ted Cruz weighed in on the decision by Kevin McCarthy. He joined Jesse Waters yesterday. Let's hear him. I think it was the right step to remove Adam Schiff and then Swalwell. You know, today's Democrat Party for some time has been in bed with communist China. But Swalwell took that to a whole different level. He was literally in bed with Fang Fang, jeopardizing America's national security. And, 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 and that kind of cavalier attitude, well, that, that, that has very real consequences. So I'm glad to see that, that leadership in the House, that the new Republican majority is standing up, standing up and fighting. I think the leadership fight that we had in the House was very beneficial for helping ensure the majority actually stands up and fight. And I can tell you, today, I made a request of our leadership on the Senate side that we have a classified briefing specifically about what classified materials Joe Biden had, all the classified materials that have been in the news. We need to know what, what those materials were. Listen, I've read a lot of classified documents. Every, every document I've read, I've read in a SCIF, a secure facility in the basement of the Capitol. But if that information concerns Burisma, if it concerns Hunter Biden, if it concerns communist China paying Hunter Biden and the Biden family millions of dollars, then it shifts into a very serious issue of corruption and real potential criminal liability. It sure does. Senator, thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate And, you know, he touched on in, in the beginning of that hit right there, just what we didn't with Adam Schiff in the beginning, obviously we all know the stuff that he's done, uh, you know, in his tenure on at, well, at, at times as chair of the house intelligence committee and, and such, but you know, Eric Swalwell, we may never know the, the inappropriateness of his relationship with that Chinese spy and the people that she brought into like, let's just say his congressional office and his campaign office to hire and be, we, we probably won't ever know. There's never been an investigation into the inappropriate sexual relationship that he had with that Chinese spy either. But the fact of the matter is, is that when you just talk about people who should be on committees like intelligence, I mean, you know, maybe he'd be better off sitting on like the jobs committee or well, you think she committee. you think she wasn't like putting listening devices in his fucking briefcase and shit like that. Like, that's what they do. I actually I 100 percent think so as, as well. And uh, here, wear this new lapel pin I got you. Oh, nice. Was it a Ukrainian flag? Yeah. Why, <laughs> why is why is the battery so big? <laughs> why is it beeping? <laughs> Indiana Representative Jim Banks jumped on with Pete Hackseth yesterday, who was sitting in, I believe, for Laura Ingram, and was talking about this with Byron Donalds as well. It, it all comes down to our, our national security secrets and, and how good we're, we're able to keep them. In addition to all the other infiltration that we have going on within our government, it doesn't help when sitting members of Congress are doing it as well. Let's hear the uh, Indiana representative. Let's just ask it point blank. Are Schiff and Swalwell threats to our national security? Yes. Without a doubt. Uh, remember, I'm the guy that Nancy Pelosi kicked off of the fake sham January 6th committee last year. She never gave a single reason why she kicked me off the committee. And here you have Speaker McCarthy, a man of his word. He followed through on a promise that he made that he would he would not let these two threats to our national security serve on the Intelligence Committee. Now, never mind that being on the Intelligence Committee implies that you're intelligent. And we're talking about the two of the biggest clowns <laughs> in Congress, uh, uh, Swalwell taking the cake. Uh, obviously, I mean, caught, think about it, caught in a very compromising situation. This guy shouldn't be allowed anywhere near our national secrets because of how compromised he was. Today, Mike Pompeo confirmed that Adam Schiff actually released 
knowingly release classified information when he was chair of, of the Intelligence Committee. He shouldn't be allowed on the committee after doing that. He should be punished for it. So kudos to Speaker McCarthy for following through on what he said he would do. Neither of these two guys should even be in Congress, let alone serving on the Intelligence Committee. Fact check, true. Mm. And uh, you can't help but not agree with Jim Banks there. They, they have done some things that, you know, if a normal person did it, uh, they would probably, well, if Donald Trump did it, he'd, he'd be jail forever. Yep. But uh, that's just the case. We were going to talk about this a little bit more with uh, California Congressman Kevin Kiley. However, a House vote on the floor right now has gone over, and the congressman will be joining us now on our Tuesday edition of Steak for Breakfast, in addition to one of the 20, Arizona Representative Eli Crane, and one of our great friends, Ohio Representative Max Miller. We are going to uh, switch gears a little bit now and uh, take the narrative down to the U.S. southern border. You know how you've gotten that chewy, hard, disappointing jerky from the gas station? you got to try some of this jerky we just got from Farmer Bill's. It's soft and tender because it's cured and air-dried instead of dehydrated, like that other junk. Ingredient conscious, there's no sugar, no soy, or other additives, just beef, salt, and spices. Working on those gains, it's protein on the go with a very respectable 32 grams of protein per 2 ounces. That's twice the amount of that other jerky. So if you'd like to support small business and you like your food source in the USA, order some Farmer Bills with the code STEAK for an extra 5 bucks off. Buy a 12-pack, you can get free shipping. The only thing better than this tender jerky is supporting an American-made company that shares your values. Get yourself some Farmer Bills traditionally air-dried beef jerky today. Coming in now on the program to talk about all things related to the border and such, he's the former acting ICE director who served in the Trump administration. Returning to the show again, Mr. Tom Holman, thanks for joining us. Hey, thanks for having me. Sir, it's our pleasure. How's everything going with you? Fine. I'm in Phoenix, Arizona. Uh, we're giving a, there's an event tomorrow called Border 911. We're going to be, I've uh, got a bunch of border experts here. We're going to try to educate people in Arizona what's going on in the border. The facts, not what they read in the media. Yeah, yeah, the Arizona's become a, well, it has been for a while, but even more such over the course of the last two years, has become a pretty big hot zone uh, in regards to, well, just border security and the amount of bodies coming through and such as now. Uh, what are some of the people that have gone down there with you seeing, and uh, how much has it changed, let's just say, since your time in the Trump administration? Well, look, I think uh, Arizona right now is ground zero for fentanyl. Just over half of all fentanyl seized by DEA has been uh, uh, seized in Arizona. And there's a reason for that because uh, it's not a coincidence that they're seizing record amounts of fentanyl in the same place you got record amount of gotaways. If you look at the number of gotaways, I'm talking recorded gotaways, those caught on video, drone traffic, or central traffic that weren't arrested, Arizona has more gotaways than Texas, New Mexico, and California combined. Mm -hmm. So the cartels have figured that out. There's, uh, you can, if you want to, Cross the border, not get arrested. Arizona is the prime place to go. So um, you know, and sh things shift. Look, when I, when I started my career in border patrol in the eighties, I mean, California was was the hub of, uh, of of illegal immigration. Then it moved to Arizona. Then it moved to Texas. And I had a speech yesterday. I told Arizona, "Look, it's coming back because the more and more Governor Abbott does in Texas, they're going to go to the area least resistance, which seems to be Arizona. So Arizona needs to step up. Unfortunately, I don't think their new, new governor." really cares about border security so i think arizona's like i said already the hub already ground zero for fentanyl is going to get worse i don't think this uh, governor is going to take it seriously no we don't think so either it seems like she's been very dismissive of the legitimacy of the crisis down there when it involves the, the human trafficking element the amount of gotaways and of course the fentanyl crisis which 
for probably over the dozen times over the course of the midterm election season that Carrie Lake was a guest on our program. She always talked about how the fentanyl crisis has, you know, contributed to adult and children deaths, uh, it has helped explode the homelessness crisis in Arizona and was contributing negative to the economy based off the fact of, uh, how it just pulls everything down. Well, look, when, when, when you, when you create a crisis, illegal immigration crisis this big, which they did. Look, this is a mismanagement. This is an this is not incompetence. This is by design. He ran on open borders. He said he was going to, you know, uh, put a moratorium on deportations. They're going to end ICE detention. Uh, he's going to get free health care to illegal aliens. He's going to have an amnesty program. When you make those type type of comments, people are going to come. And, and when they create this open border crisis, it, it, Border Patrol is so overwhelmed. In some sectors, they got 80% of agents being pulled off the line. 80%, which means only 20% of security is on the line. So the cartels who control our southern border, they decide what comes across, where it comes across, what times it comes across. So they'll push the big group of 200 across one area, knowing whatever little resources are left on the border will seize on that opportunity because of the humanitarian crisis, at least miles of borders are not guarded. And that's when they move the fentanyl. That's when they move the known suspected the terrorists. That's when they move criminals. And I say terrorists, not by accident. Since Biden's been president, they've arrested over 137 known and suspected terrorists coming across this border. We got 1.2 million known gotaways. Border shows arresting people from 161 different countries. Some of those countries are sponsors of terrorism. Yep. If you don't think a single one of that 1.2 million gotaways didn't come from a country sponsoring terrorism, then you're ignorant. This is a huge national security. As a matter of fact, I said it yesterday. This is the biggest national security theory we've had since 9-11. No, it certainly is. And, you know, when the when the Biden administration starts skewing the numbers like they did, we did see uh, Karine Jean-Pierre and, and some of the other people within DHS touting numbers this week that there was like a 97% decrease in, in, in border crossings. But then the, when you read the fine print, it says Venezuela, Nicaragua, Cuba, and Haiti were the demographics that they pulled from. In addition, at the same time, not too long ago, the Biden administration launched that pilot program through DHS, which is allowing people to apply for uh, asylum online using an app. And now they're letting in 30,000 more people a month in addition to all the border apprehensions. But at the same time, DHS is saying this week now, uh, a couple outlets have reported that the total number of people who have crossed the border in totality, which includes getaways, now exceeds 6 million people in the last two years. And uh, when you just think about that number right there, it's it's like it, it, it can't even register to most Americans' head. They can't see a number like that. You know, they've tried to remove it from the news cycle pretty much in totality ever since Joe Biden went down to uh, El Paso for his little song and dance visit when they cleaned everything up for him. And, uh, you know, we're waiting to see what this new Congress, especially the Republican House, is getting ready to do. What do you think is going to happen when they begin that uh, investigative committee to, you know, get to the bottom of what's going on on the southern border starting February 6th? Now, first of all, let's set the record straight. The, the border numbers aren't down. They're just turning illegal immigrants into legal immigrants. Yep. Mm. Uh, so rather than coming between the ports of entry, they're simply pushing them through the port of entry. And I said months ago, they're going to come up with a program. They're going to go south, and they're going they're going to give these people some sort of paper that lets them in legally uh, by the thousands. And they're going, oh, look at the border numbers are down. Well, no kidding, because you gave them an opportunity to come through the port of entry rather than between the port of entry. So they haven't secured the border. 
The, and, and this whole program is illegal. They will lose it in court because they have violated the parole statute. When I was ICE director, I paroled three people the entire time I was director. Two of them were witnesses for a criminal cartel trial, and one was, was a, 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 a child having heart replaced, a, a, a liver replacement, I think it was, some, some humanitarian issue. Three. Three. And that was based on significant public benefit. And and what they did is the president saying 30000 a month. And I told uh, Florida, who's suing, along with Texas and other states, use Biden's speech as Exhibit A. There's clearly no case-by-case analysis, which required by statute, when he says 30000 a month, that should be exhibited. They're going to lose this in court, and they'll be right back to the same mess they had before. This, uh, this, 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 the shell game is not going to work for him. But look, I, I've been working with the new, uh, the new chair of the Homeland, Homeland Oversight Committee, uh, uh, Mark Green. Yep. Uh, I met with him, and and I, I'm going to help him. Just, uh, I'll tell him who to subpoena. I'll tell him what to subpoena and where they can find it. I did this for 35 years. I know where the bodies get buried, mm-hmm. and I'm going to help them. They're going to have oversight hearings, and what they're going to do. If we have these oversight hearings, they're, they're, it's, it's going to be shameful, this administration. They're going to show many things that are illegal. It's going to show that uh, Mayorkas indeed needs to be impeached for what the actions he, he has failed to take. And we're going to present a lot of evidence. And the, even the Democrats who are going to be on those committees, they're going to be, they're going to be faced with evidence, stone-cold facts and evidence. And there's, there's, there's like a, what, 24, 26 Really tough reelections in 2024. These Democrats, they're going to have to pick a side. You pick the side of truth and border security, or you going to stick with the lies because these are these are uh, these 24 areas are places where Trump won. So I think we can convince a few Democrats to say, you know what, you're right. This what happened here is horrendous, and we need to fix it. So I'm looking forward to it, and I volunteer to be witness number one. Oh, we're excited to see you get up there and testify. Speaking of which, and you already did mention, I, we, we all are in agreement here that Alejandro Mayorkas a long time ago crossed the threshold to be set up for impeachment. We do hope that these investigations eventually do get to go here because when you talk about just the sovereignty of our nation, it's been completely disintegrated by this administration and, and they continue to do it with basically like their noses up in front of everybody's faces and, uh, you know, needs to be addressed. Well, look, he needs to be impeached for this one issue alone. Yep. In, in 2014, 2015, I was third in command at ICE. We had a family surge. Nowhere near this big, but we had one. And he was deputy secretary at the time Joe Biden was vice president. How did we stop it? We built detention centers, thousands of, of beds. We detained people until they saw a judge. 90% lost their case. We put them on an airplane, sent them home. The numbers down the border tanked. What is my orchestra doing now? Knowing what succeeded in 2014, 2015, what's he doing now? He's not detaining them. They've been released without a court date. And even if they lose their case with 90% will, he has cold ice. They can't arrest him because they're simply in the country illegally. Yep. So they're really nice to be tired with ice. He's done the complete opposite of what he know worked in 2014, 2015. That alone shows this is a solid, intentional uh, a move by him to not to secure the border. Yeah, it's a long documented history going all the way back to his CIS days of things that Alejandro Mayorkas has done to not only muddy the waters, but literally deconstruct our already damaged immigration system, which has kind of been the same since the 80s. But when we have people in place, especially in leadership positions that are willing to do the hard work, you know, in the face of things like when the mainstream media claims like, you know, asylum and and things like that and war. I mean, we all know that over 90 percent of the people, probably even well more than 90 percent of the people coming in, at least at this 
this point now through the course of the last two years are just merely economic migrants who want to come in and have a clean slate and a new life and, and, and get everything for free. And the reason why that previous his previous point, the reason why that stuff is working is because a lot of these people, they're going into lifelong debt in order to make this trip because they're paying the coyotes, they're paying whoever. And when you have like, you know, 15 of your buddies from the village or wherever you live that come back and they're like, well, shit, I spent all this money and here I am. I'm probably not going to try. And, and they see there's no consequences. Yep. They see there's no plane load going back like we did under, under the uh, uh, prior administrations. But I'll, I'll say this, you know, for these for these thousands that think they beat the system and, and they cheated the system. But let's remember, when they enter the country legally, they commit a crime. When they lie under oath during the asylum hearing, that's a felony. Then they get ordered removed by a judge. Ninety, it's actually ninety-three percent is the most recent number. Ninety-three percent will lose their case and they don't leave, so they become a fugitive. So they think they got to beat. They're going to they're going to hide out long enough for the for next giveaway amnesty program. But I tell you what, President Trump comes back in two years. I'll come back in two years, and we're going to find every one of these people as many as we can, one at a time, and they're going to be deported because you can't demand due process. You can't demand you have the right to claim asylum. And, and go through the system. If you demand that, which I agree to have that right, then you also must you also must uh, uh, execute the final decision of the courts. If you don't, then shut down the immigration courts and forget about due process. It all means nothing. So these people will be held accountable in a future administration. You can take that to the bank. And then you also have along the along the same lines, you have the numbers that they're purporting, like you said earlier, like they said the numbers were down, but they were talking about like Guatemalans, Hondurans, and mm-hmm. Haitians or something. Yeah. I mean, nobody's really addressing the fact that, you know, we're getting reports that there's a lot of people from other regions. Like a lot of people think that the whole illegal immigration problem is all Central Americans and stuff like that, but we're yeah, getting a lot I'll of European what, countries. I, I'll tell you what no one's addressing, and, and I'm actually writing an op-ed this morning on it. You know, they say the Trump administration was so inhumane. You know, Tom Homeland was racist and the family separations. First of all, family separations are still happening on the Biden administration, first of all. Second of all, uh, look at what this administration has done. 250,000 children have crossed the border since Biden's taken the White House. That's a quarter million children. HHS cannot find 42% of them, which shows you the vetting was terrible. I said a year ago, because they, they weren't vetting at the level the Trump administration was doing the vetting, that these children will be found in forced labor, they'll be found in pornographic movies, they'll be found living with child predators, and just last week, they found 50 children, illegal alien children, working at a meatpacking plant in Nebraska, working a midnight shift, cleaning up entrails and guts and so forth. So these these 50 were trafficked. You're going to find more of these children are being housed with predators. That's why they can't find 42% of them. And, and these poor children are in very, very bad situations right now. Some of them, I can't see all of them. They're going to find out what horrendous conditions they've been in. And I'll tell you something else. This new program, find yourself a U.S. sponsor and what pro you're in. That is creating another program, another system where the most vulnerable people in the world are going to be victimized. Yep. They're going, there's going to be predators. There's going to be sex deviants. That, yeah, I'll sponsor you. Come to the United States. Now, what sort of, what sort of vetting are they going to do with the sponsors? Because there's going to be young ladies or young men who are going to be prodded with a sponsor who's going to force the labor or it's going to demand, you know, sexual favors. I'm not saying, again, I'm not saying everybody, but this is a, they, they're creating a minefield for these vulnerable people because some of them will be victimized. I guarantee it. And it's sad. This administration keeps coming up with these programs where these people are going to be victimized. 
They can say what they want about us in the Trump administration. When Trump had illegal immigration down 83%, when 83% less people were coming across that border, how many women weren't being raped by the cartels? Mm -hmm. How many children weren't drowning in the river? How many Americans weren't dying from fentanyl overdoses because the border is more secure? How many known suspected terrorists didn't get the country? So President Trump's policies saved lives. Joe Biden policies are killing Americans at record numbers and killing migrants in record numbers. You already got over 1,700 dead migrants. 1,700 migrants have died on U.S. soil since Joe Biden taken the White House, which is a record by far. That's what people need to talk about is this administration is more inhumane than any administration I ever worked for. No, those are the facts, and that's the black and white of it. Tom, President Trump's going to be hitting the road this weekend. He's got events scheduled in both New Hampshire and South Carolina. We all know that you're ex- extremely fond and loyal and good friends with the president. Are you going to be hitting the road with him at all? Yeah, I, I won't be on this next one, but I will be. I'll be hitting the road with him. I have, I have given President Trump my word. I, we, I told him, you come back, I come back, and uh, and I mean that. And you know, I'll be taking a hell of a pay cut. But I'll tell you what. <laughs> I'm pissed off. I, I wake up every day pissed off because we handed this administration the most secure border in my lifetime. And I wrote a book called Defend the Border, Save Lives. And I, I, I chose that title because it's a fact. When you secure the border and less people put themselves in the hands of criminal cartels that come to this nation, less people are assaulted, less people die. Mm-hmm. This, this president gave us the most secure border in my 35-year career. And, and the data proves it. And they, they undid this intentionally, which, again, is resulted in record number of overdose deaths and migrant deaths. Yeah, I'll come back and I'm going to help the president as much as I can again because I think he's. I think he did more than any. I worked for six presidents starting with Ronald Reagan, and every president I worked for did something about the border. Even Clinton, Obama took steps on the border. No one did more than President Trump, but this president, President Biden, is the first president in the history of this nation who came into office and unsecured a border. And now, what what, the, what commander in chief? comes in office and unsecures the border. What commander-in-chief wants more illegal immigration, wants more illegal drug flow, wants more migrant deaths, wants more U.S. overdose deaths? It's just incredible what this administration has done. So, yeah, I'm pissed off. I'll come back in a heartbeat. Mm. And we hope that you come back on our show very soon. Tom, where can we find you? Either uh, our social media websites, anywhere that we can get more information and direct our listenership to. We'll live link it in the the, uh, show description today. Yeah, look, you you can – I got – several websites my book website the publisher created is called tom Holman speaks.com or my uh, my my company website uh, uh homelandstrategic.com you can contact me through the heritage foundation you can contact me through the uh, uh the america project we're, we're, that's what we're out here this weekend doing the america project we're we're having a big event saturday at herberger theater uh in here in phoenix and we got several hundred people coming we're going to tell them what's going on on the border and tell them why they need to take action and get to the voting booth and, and demand whether it's a republican or democrat we demand you represent them take action and i don't want to hear this no more that well we don't own the senate dems do but you know what we can stop negotiating with them the, Dem- the republicans can stand up and say you know what? i'm we're not passing anything until you show us one thing that you're going to do to slow the flow mm-hmm. so there is things we can do now we have the house we got the purse strings Shut the government down if you have to until you get some action on the border. And people say, well, man, that's pretty drastic action, Tom. Well, like I just said, 100,000 Americans dead, 109,000 dead, 109,000 Americans dead, 1,700 migrants dead, uh, 137 known suspected terrorists arrested. Criminal cartels are making billions of dollars a day. Record numbers of women and children being sex trafficked in the United States. When is enough enough? When is it enough to threaten shut down unless they take some action? Well, we hope that the uh, Republican House has the 
courage to do it moving forward. Uh, Tom, we're going to live link your websites in the show description today. Of course, we're going to be looking forward to having you back at some time soon. And uh, your your service to this country is just as documented as your presence when you come on Steak for Breakfast. This is the former acting ICE director serving the Trump administration, Mr. Tom Holman. Thanks for joining us today on the show. All right, you guys. Thank you, sir. So, of course, the war in Ukraine has totally destroyed Ukraine, killed over 100,000 Ukrainians, but it's still going. Why is that? Because the Biden administration has kept it going. They could have forced a peace. They haven't. They don't want to. Why is that? Why kill all these Ukrainians? Why destroy an entire country? Well, because people are getting rich. BlackRock plans to get rich. So BlackRock is now saying out loud that the war in Ukraine, the death of all these Ukrainians, is actually a great opportunity to transform Ukraine into a beacon of capitalism. (laughs) Right. Goldman Sachs is excited, too. Their CEO says that rebuilding Ukraine represents, quote, good economic incentives for real return and real investment. Imagine. Whose money is that? Oh, it's going to be yours to rebuild Ukraine. These guys are going to get rich from it. You see how this works? So yesterday, because these people have no self-awareness whatsoever, the president of Ukraine, Zelensky, went on camera to say he's thrilled about all these economic opportunities. Watch this. It is obvious that American business can become the locomotive that will once again push forward global economic growth. We have already managed to attract attention and have cooperation with such giants of the international financial and investment world as BlackRock, J.P. Morgan and Golden Sachs, such American brands as Starlink or Westinghouse have already become part of our Ukrainian way. Your brilliant defense systems such as HIMARS or Bradley's are already uniting our history of freedom with your enterprises. We are waiting for Patriots. We are looking closely at Abrams. Thousands of such examples are possible. And everyone can become a big business by working with Ukraine. Oh, you can make a lot of money in Ukraine. It's the Ukrainian way, which is, of course, corruption, one of the most corrupt countries in the world. But if you're looking for a money laundering opportunity, well, it's the perfect place for you. Send us more tanks, by the way. And As by design, it was confirmed today that this country is, in fact, sending more M1 Abrams tanks to Ukraine. Well, it's Ukraine forever here as we jump into our first news segment. We're we're heading from uh, a border skirmish, which we don't really like too much, on the U.S. southern border with Tom Holman and going into our second least favorite one, Mm. which is the border skirmish between Russia and Ukraine. Why does he sound like a Muppet? I don't don't know what it is. Something about it. Sounds like a Muppet. There is money to be made and... (laughs) Come to Ukraine. Come to Ukraine and send us more cookies because Ukraine is for cookie. Programming note, the host (laughs) of The Great Divide and great friend of the show, Alan Jacoby, is in to do the news today. Alan, welcome. What's up, guys? You know, Zelensky's voice does not (laughs) match someone who plays the piano with their penis. It just it doesn't match. I'd be willing to bet he's putting on uh, an affectation of sorts. Well, at least you know now what you guys are going to be getting for the next couple news segments with Alex Jacoby in the house today. Uh, but, yeah, that's kind of, you know, no surprise there. The biggest money laundering operation in the history of the galaxy continues with Ukraine. And although they probably miss people like Hunter Biden and the Clintons, uh, they've been able to just attach themselves to every multi-trillion dollar 
apparatus. Asshole. In the, in the entire planet, everything from places like BlackRock to the United States Military Industrial Complex, and, and here they go. Uh, Tucker teased it, and we're going to get into it right now. Um, while we need everything regarding this war to, to at some point, yeah, <laughs> center towards negotiations and a peaceful transfer of power. It's, it's never going to happen. They've right. already said it's never going to happen. Ever going to happen. Because you have to re- regain all this territory we lost. Because of money. <laughs> Business. They have stolen my neighborhood. Oh man! So yeah, it's it's kind of uh, you know where we're at. Joe Biden took to the podium earlier this week to talk about the next round of whatever we're sending over to Ukraine. We heard Vladimir Zelensky saying he's waiting for his patriots, <laughs> and uh, Joe Biden gave him. Well, I wouldn't call it a parting gift because we're nowhere near ending. Let's hear it. Today, I'm announcing that the United States will be sending 31 Abram tanks to Ukraine. And 17 pairs of hot pants. And one Ukrainian battalion. Secretary Austin has recommended this step because it will enhance the Ukraine's capacity to defend its territory and achieve its strategic objectives. The Abrams tanks are the most capable tanks in the world. And they're also extremely complex to operate and maintain. And expensive. So we're also giving Ukraine the parts and equipment necessary to effectively sustain these tanks on the battlefield. U.S. mechanics? We'll begin, we'll begin to train the Ukrainian troops on these issues of sustainment, logistics, and maintenance as soon as possible. Delivering these tanks to the field is going to take time. Time uh, that we'll see, uh, we'll use to make sure the Ukrainians are fully prepared to integrate the Abram tanks into their defenses. We're also closely coordinated this announcement with our allies. The American contribution will be joined by an additional announcement, including that will be uh, will be ready to available and more easily integrated for use in the battlefield in the coming weeks and months from other countries. Oh, I thought he was going to say somebody else was going to pitch in. Somebody else <laughs> is pitching in. So we'll get into that in a second, but let's stay they're, out. They're sending 18 pairs of hot pants? <laughs> yes. Whatever Germany's tanks are, the Leopard tanks, the Tiger tanks, whatever they're called, they're sending some of those over there. But they're the crappy tanks yeah. like the, the crappy stock european these ones are some of the most technologically advanced uh tanks and weaponry that we have as far as ground to ground in addition to that they are the most expensively ran that our country has to offer does anybody know why alan noah because they run on jet fuel oh and the systems take anywhere between four and six months to train it's not like uh back in the day where you turn it on it's diesel engine and cannon goes boom yeah not to mention like you're gonna have like a guy that's not familiar with the system as the mechanic. That's not gonna go well. So by the time they get them, what the war the war is gonna be over. Or everyone's gonna be well. Dead? No, the war is never gonna be yeah, over. That's why they can confidently that. do this. Yeah. Right. So when they're talking about spring offensive uh, that the Russians are supposedly mounting right now, it looks like they're kind of digging in around Crimea and and not looking to give up any more territory. Well, and, then it's 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 the money laundering times a thousand because. When you think about anything that happens, like this pen, this pen costs 45 cents. Okay. The government spends $10 on it, right? So mm-hmm. we're going to have these tanks that have a specific price because that's how much they are in the military database. Of, right. This is how much this thing costs. But we're going to soak the shit out of you on transportation to where it needs to go. It's like, oh, well, you know, we have to. We have to box it up and put it in this uh, shipping container, and the shipping container is actually $2 billion, mm. you know, and then, yeah, it's going to be bad. So we did talk about our allies here. Untraceable, and, untraceable money. And on the same day as Joe Biden would make that announcement, the German 
foreign minister was making comments as well in uh, the House there. Let's hear her and her interesting comments. And therefore, I've said already in the last days, yes, we have to do more to defend Ukraine. Oh. Yes, we have to do more also on tanks. But the most important and the crucial part is that we do it together and that we do not do the blame game in Europe because we are fighting a war against Russia and not against each other. Thank you. So now we're at war with mm. Russia. They are your papers. We are fighting a war with Russia? You know what's next on the list? Tanks for nothing. F-16s. Oh, yeah. Yeah, they're, they're, they're in Poland and they're in Germany, and uh, there, there's plans moving forward right now to bring, I guess, Ukrainian pilots into those countries and, and train them how to operate the, the U.S. machinery there. So given that Ukraine is the most corrupt country in the history of countries, practically, yes, I'm going to go out on a limb and say that given the corruption level that's in that place, there's probably some corrupt uh, aspects and nodes of operation in their military, Okay, not to mention white supremacists. So that's another you. story altogether with yeah. the Azov battalions and shit like that. But right. so let's talk about arms trafficking mm. and black market arms deals, which have already been proven to be happening yep. as people are fucking selling right. rocket launchers on Facebook marketplace or wherever the hell it was. We're having javelins turn up in places like Pakistan. Exactly. So you're going to teach somebody to run this tank, to do the mechanics on it. You're going to give them all the supplies to maintain it. They're obviously going to have a paper archive of all this information because it's the military. Everything's on paper. You need, I have to print out this paper and run over here and then like look at the paper while I'm doing everything. So there's going to be instructions out there how to use all this stuff. So when they sell them, they can just sell the complete package. Like yeah. this is how you maintain it. Here's some extra yeah. parts. These things are going to end up in the hands of our enemies. Not to mention the fact that we've already heard that, uh, I haven't looked into it confirming it, but... Russia's dealing with what the Taliban to buy a bunch of the shit that we left over there and North Korea. Yeah. Yep. That had come out of some tabloid and there was, there was some speculation if it was true or not, but I'm going to say that I would, why, why wouldn't it be, it be true? Because we know, we know Putin has been speaking to the Taliban and, and we know that the Taliban was selling some of this equipment and the technology to China already. So yep. why wouldn't Russia want to buy it? Cause he he's, he's desperate. He, he, he's got to get it where he's got to get it from. So, mm -hmm. And some of the biggest construction firms in China and Russia are doing joint ventures into the rebuilding of, of some of Afghanistan's major infrastructure there. So it's kind of like, okay, we're going to build you guys a parking lot and you guys are going to pay us in tanks. Yep. So, and it's not to, to use our weapons against it's ourselves. To, it's, it's to reverse engineer it. Yep. And yep. find weaknesses and how they can thwart our offense. <laughs> An offense which we shouldn't be conducting in places like Ukraine, yeah. which is now turned into like it, it started with a border skirmish, then it's gone full, uh, you know, on major conflict right now. And now there's so much uh, American and, and NATO weaponry involved in this. I don't see any place, you know, Donald Trump weighed in yesterday. He put out a truth that said, first tanks, next nukes. Yeah. It needs yep. to stop. And uh, it just seems like the only place that nobody wants to be regarding this mess is the negotiation table, which is the only place that anyone should be regarding this matter right now. Which initially was what they were stating the goal was. Yeah. Now, now, now peaceful resolution. And now you have Ukraine saying, like, everything. We will never give back the cookies. Well, the, <laughs> right. Essentially, they're saying that anything that Russia's ever annexed ever. Since the fall of the Soviet Union, we're oh, taking back in this offensive perfect. now. Yeah, that's how this ends. Remember, John Kirby said, 
Vladimir gets to say when this ends and what it looks like. Just last week, Joe Biden was pressured as he was being ushered off of the podium after making those comments yesterday, and he did actually field one question regarding the bullying that's going on from his German counterparts. Let's hear uh, the president answer. Mr. President, why are you taking this decision now? Did Germany force you to change your mind on sending tanks? <laughs> Germany didn't force me to change your mind. We wanted to make sure we were all together. That's what we're going to do all along, and that's what we're doing right now. Thanks, Mr. President. Yeah. Hey, uh, you didn't change your mind. Uh, we're we're going to be all together on this, aren't we? Mm? Right. Mm? Right. So that Germany that, sent me this cool ball gag, so I couldn't say no. <laughs> I do have to give credit where credit is due. One of our greatest uh, meme team members out there, Namrock Namrock, yesterday threw it way back. Oh yeah. He did the uh, after credits of Spaceballs. Nice. And uh, you know where the alien comes through? The, the guy's yeah, the stomach. Yeah, the guy's stomach in the restaurant, the truck stop. So when the alien comes through, it's uh, Germany, and then it's like the rest of the world, not again. It's like when Germany is declaring war on, on Russia. Yeah. And I cannot <laughs> believe that this has evolved and, and spun out of control in, in the manner it has. I, I can, based off of how much everybody in our country, all, all the just love war. That's the forever war. It's it's the new forever war. And they were so yeah. so sad when we got out of Afghanistan, but it's like we didn't miss a beat. Mm -mm. And uh, here we are now probably spending more money there. Speaking of neocons, uh, Mike Pompeo, prospective, you know, looking into a run at the White House and, and going to be pretty interesting to see him on the debate stage with Donald Trump. But right now he's, he's doing the, the legacy media circuit and uh, hawking his newest book. Not about how he helped kill JFK, but probably some of the other bad stuff he did. He sat down uh, for like a town hall at the University of Chicago this week and, and was talking about, you know, us funneling crap over to Ukraine. Let's hear him. I was the Secretary of State today, I would be advocating for providing every single weapon system as quickly as we possibly can to support the Ukrainians. And I applaud the Biden administration for continuing to do that. They've been slow and late, in my judgment, uh, for, for reasons that I think just don't don't hold merit uh but every day that this goes on there will be more destruction of ukraine there will be more political disruption inside of ukraine there'll be more ukrainian civilians that are absconded to russia uh, it is time to go give the ukrainians what they need to be successful and when you do that you also hasten the day that the conflict ends i think half measures and a few weapons here and a handful of HIMARS and a couple of rockets i think those are sufficient to wear down the Russian military, but not sufficient to convince Vladimir Putin that, that for at least a moment, he needs to back off on his lifelong. And that's how it starts, but then it ends with Abrams tanks, Patriot missile launcher batteries, and F-16 fighters, which is where we're at right now. And here's the big thing. Not a lot of people are talking about this. I think the only person in the mainstream media that really harps on it on a consistent basis, but he says it so fast and then moves on to another point. He really needs to take a deep dive into this. We know a lot of people, the daily caller listen to steak for breakfast is Tucker Carlson. Mm. The big thing that you're not seeing in the news right now, that's not being widely reported everywhere because of all the circus type bullshit that we see on a regular basis there of, you know, everybody giving them everything. Ukraine is literally getting their asses kicked in yeah. this war. They always have been. And, and, and regardless for how many, you know, Russian soldiers and, and troops just went into the meat grinder because that's just like the logistics of war. The fact of the matter is, is that we would not be sending over some of our like top tier stuff, like stuff that we only give like our strongest and most reliable allies, which we have a big two way street with. And that's everything from national and international security all the way down to like trade. 
like the Patriot missile battery systems are going over to Ukraine right now for fear of more civilian loss. And that's 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 the real cost of this war right now. It's not going to be the infrastructure that things like, you know, entities like BlackRock and countries like China move in and just push us out of the way after this thing eventually ends, probably yeah. years from now. Yeah. Uh, but, but, but you know, at the same time, they're going to go and make all their money off of Ukraine and, and all of their natural resources by uh, rebuilding that country. So... The, the biggest thing we don't have in this right now, though, is is any kind of oversight, and we haven't had it from the beginning. It's like Joe Biden signs a couple million here, a couple billion there, then he throws it in the omnibus bill, starts sending our military equipment over there. We need to find out what the actual receipts are. I did see yesterday on Fox and Friends, uh, Ohio senator who's been off to a pretty good start so far. He's doing a comprehensive border investigation uh, bill proposal with uh, Arizona House Representative Andy Biggs, and now he's looking into what exactly we're sending over to Ukraine, how much of it, and what's it costing. J.D. Vance was talking about this, and, and he wants the receipts, so let's hear him. Testing a full report on security assistance. Tell, tell us the latest and how you're involved. You know, well, what I've said here is whether you're supportive of the Ukraine funding or not supportive of the Ukraine funding, we should know where the money is going, right? Yep. We know we have a corruption scandal in that country right now. We just need to better understand are American tax dollars actually being spent on the things yep. that the president is telling us they're being spent on? Uh, that's my main focus right now. If you zoom out a little bit, my biggest concern here, and I understand, you know, different people are on different sides of this issue, but my big concern here is that Biden has not articulated a vision for what we're doing in Ukraine. What is our goal? How is American policy meant to achieve that goal? And because of it, it feels sometimes to me like we're just shoveling money out over there without any clear plan for what it's meant to accomplish. And that's the, that's the thing. Like, you know, we've all agreed on this. It makes a lot of sense. Like, okay, there may be the need for tanks. There may be the need for Patriots. There may be the need for F-16s and everything else that we sent over there. Looking at the run and tally right now, we're close to 50 border walls worth of cash, aid, funding, military equipment, you name it, sent over to Ukraine since the beginning of this skirmish right now. And we don't have a clear objective. It's Putin bad. Gas prices high because Putin bad. Economy bad because Putin bad. You can't heat your home because Putin bad. Transgender story time at your kid's preschool? Putin bad? Mm. Probably mm. not. Cookies good. Yes. <laughs> Money good. <laughs> how, how much how much more money is this gonna cost us in equipment and and, and hard cash? I, I it's like it's never ending. Military industrial complex. And then you know, Ron, you just said we know that Ukraine is getting their asses kicked. Yeah. I mean, it's it's, it's like an unwinnable war for them. And but meanwhile, the you know. The the world's biggest uh, laundry mat uh, manager, um, <laughs> he he literally won't. He d dismisses all peace talks with Vladimir Putin and calls him a nobody. That's what like, he said oh, today. Screw, screw this guy, right? So, and then we, you know, he's thanking BlackRock and Goldman Sachs. <clears throat> when this is all over, and then you also said, oh, when China swoops in and BlackRock swoops in, that's before we give all of billions and billions of, of more of our dollars for the reconstruction of Ukraine so that BlackRock can come and take it over and Goldman Sachs can invest and China can come in and take over. Uh, it's like we're no we're going to nosedive into into a depression because we're funding this war. And I'm sure, like you said, Noah, we, we've spent more money on on this already, probably than we have in Afghanistan or close to it. And it's it's. I don't see an end in sight here. As a matter of fact, you know, Putin's uh, one of Putin's spokes uh, people, I think, today, 
I saw it this morning had said, listen, we're, and I don't blame them. We see all of this aid from the West as a direct involvement in the war. You know, I mean, I have to tend to agree with that. Like we're in this war. Am I wrong? We need, like at some point, just as, as a sovereign nation, the Russians are going to have to say, okay, like we get it. You know, they're supposedly a strategic ally, but this, this is fucking retarded. And they're going to say like, now they're sending tanks, they're sending planes, they're sending Patriot missiles. We all know that there's going to be, there's always been troops on the ground, special operators and, and stuff like that have been, you know, in, in Ukraine long before this current skirmish started. But when do we start formalizing, like sending actual troops over there to, you know, first they're going to be providing assistance and logistical information from the rear. They're going to be all the way on like the western side of Ukraine. Then you'll see them move closer to Kiev. And then eventually, you know, oh, we must liberate Crimea. And, and that's when the nukes start going off. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, the, the moment it's publicly known that we are sending battalions of troops yep. into Ukraine. That's it. World War Three has officially begun. There's 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 no turning back. And I feel we are right there. I mean, you know, jet fueled Abrams tanks. Oh, well, at least they got the jet fuel because we're going to be sending jets next. I yep. mean, it's getting worse and worse. You know, I'd say a month or so ago, I'd be like, ah, this is no big deal. It's 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 whatever. But more I think about it, especially the last couple of days, it's like it's getting real now. And 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 our our White House, our government is putting us in this situation that we should not be in as deep as we are. And it's it's going to get bad. I think it's going to get really bad. Yeah, I mean, is there a whole lot of uh, jet fuel stations or scattered around Ukraine? Probably not. <laughs> not yet. <laughs> well, I do, I do remember there was a man who a lot of people claimed was going to start World War III, but did his best to yes. end forever foreign wars and meet face-to-face with some of the scariest dictators on the planet. Uh, Texas Representative Troy Nels was on America's Reports yesterday, and he was talking about that man. Let's hear it. If we really want to end this war, you want to end this war, Joe Biden, you need to call Donald Trump. Donald Trump will call Vladimir Putin and end this war. We must stop this war, and Donald Trump can do it. He never went into Ukraine under Donald Trump in his four years. I predict that's a phone call that will not happen. Mm. <laughs> well, Donald Trump will fix it when he's inaugurated as the 47th. See what happens. Congressman, we'll be watching it for the next two years. Thank you. Appreciate Thank you, God. Mm-hmm. I, I, like, I, like the, I like the positivity there, but I think by the time Trump's back in office, this will be so widely off the rails that it's going to be oh. very difficult for him to salvage any aspect of ending this. Yeah, it's all going to determine how... There, there was optics when those two were together, and then there will be what was like the legitimacy of their actual person-to-person relationship, how two world leaders really respected each other and if there's some kind of a comprehensive solution. But, you know, it's so amazing that the three of us are talking about it in, in a sense is that like, okay, are we, are we seriously not talking about this ending until sometime after January 2025? Mm. Like that is scary because – there might not be much of a world left by that time at this rate. I mean, it's accelerated so much from cash, funding, aid, and logistical equipment to, like, literally the varsity football team of military equipment we're sending over there. Like, I mean, F-16s are kind of like the B-side version of, like, our best jets. But, the, you know, in, in theater over there, I'm pretty sure they'll, they'll do a good job. It's not like we're going to be sending over Raptors anytime soon. But at this point, who knows? 
I mean, why not? Yeah. Maybe if you train my troops. <laughs> well, and, and the big fact of the matter is, is that this whole skirmish, uh, especially with all components of Russia and, and how their reverse sanctions on the rest of the world have gummed up everything uh, in, in regards to the economy. So right now we're going to try and get a clear picture on that as we're getting set to jump in with our next guest. Coming in next on the show, he is a supply chain consultant. He also writes for the National Pulse. Joining us for the first time, Jim Nels, thanks for coming on the show. My pleasure, guys. Thanks for having me. No, the pleasures are all ours. How's everything going with you? It seems like someone that does supply chain consulting would be uh, quite busy over the course of at least the last couple of years. I tell you what, to uh, quote the old Saturday Night Live skit, Pete Buttigieg has been very, very good to me <laughs> with how much trouble we've had with the supply chain in the United States the last couple of years. Yeah, it seems like a self-induced problem that, that kind of materialized out of almost nowhere. <laughs> How did we get to a point to where we've we've seen the supply chain in such disarray? And, and, and what really is the, the connectivity between the current administration and its policies based off of past practice principles of, uh, you know, previous administrations that we're not seeing now? Yeah, so, you know, a lot of people blame COVID for the supply chain challenges that we faced. And it's not really COVID. COVID just uncovered it. Uh, our supply chain and our infrastructure has been weak for a long, long time. If you go back to presidents all the way back to uh, George H.W. Bush, they talked about investing in the infrastructure of the United States to try to improve the roads and bridges and what have you. Um, and, you know, unfortunately, Secretary of Transportation has kind of been one of those throwaway cabinet spots that presidents give to people that help them get elected. And they put them there so they can't do too much damage. Right. It's not like Secretary of State or Secretary of Defense. And most people don't even know who the Secretary of Transportation was two administrations ago. Right. But unfortunately, uh, Buttigieg checked a couple of boxes, got the job, and is woefully incompetent to do it. And the thing is, he needs to fix it. Um, I'm not going to blame him for where we are. I'm going to blame him for the inability to prioritize and get things done. Here's the major problems that we're having with, with our infrastructure when it comes to supply chain. Number one, we have probably the worst ports in the world. In fact, the Port of Los Angeles and the Port of Long Beach rank two, or 349 and 350 and the world's top 350 ports in Oof. terms of efficiency. Mm. So the two most inefficient ports in the world are in California, and that's where up until about two months ago, the majority of our imports came into. Uh, now we switched to the East Coast because people were tired of waiting for months for their uh, things to be unloaded. So the East Coast is doing really well. And a lot of that has to do with the fact that it's, it's, it's heavily unionized. The unions fight any sort of automation. And if you compare it to like the Port of Charleston, which is a public-private partnership, they're investing in automation. They're investing in deep water portions of the port. So they're able to do a lot more there. That's number one. Number two is we're just seeing over-regulation on the part of state and federal governments. For example, California has taken about 110,000 trucks off the road in the last year because they don't comply with their green, with their green priorities. So, and, and with the new gig law that they passed in California about a year and a half ago to try to go after people like Uber and Lyft, who then they turn around and exempted from the law. Uh, but it did impact independent truck drivers. So truck drivers are getting taken off the road. And then there's, again, more regulations that's just silly. Let me give you another example. If you are a 19-year-old woman, you can drive an 18-wheeler in Iraq while getting shot at in order to deliver the materials that the, uh, the Army or the Marines need to fight. If you get out of the military and you come back to the States, you can't drive an 18-wheeler across state lines until you're over 21 years old. <laughs> and that's just stupid, Right. You were able to do it in Iraq or Afghanistan, getting shot at, maybe one hand out the window shooting at the bad guys <laughs> while you're delivering the stuff to your people. And then you get home and you're told that you can't do it until you're 21. So instead, you go into construction and we wonder why we're missing about 
150,000 uh, truck drivers these days. And the, the administration's only focusing on sound bites, right? I mean, Pete Buttigieg wrote a very strongly worded letter to the CEOs of airlines saying how disappointed he was in their performance. I don't know if you guys have kids, but when I look at my kids and say, I'm very disappointed in you, you know what they do? They laugh at me. Yeah. So we, we need to fix the underlying problems, not get the sound bites on TV, not, not get out of the, the uh, SUV a block before the uh, White House and ride our bike into work every day, things like that. Um, <laughs> there's a lot we can do to fix it. It's not that hard. We just need people willing to make the hard choices to do it. No, those are, those are some great points there. I mean, you would think places like Chicago, New York, and, and Los Angeles would really like those young ladies coming out of the military, out of the war zones, right? Because it would, it would be like they wouldn't even miss a beat hopping to, to a semi and trying to make deliveries and, and get in and out of the ports in, in, in cities like those. And, and then when you talk about the overall job that, you know, Pete Buttigieg has done in totality, it seems like the virtue single that was his hire has continued for every single thing that he's touched and, and just continues on. So, you know, the supply chain goes crazy and he's like, how dare you? I'm chest feeding my child. Mm. We, we have that debacle that happened at the start of the holiday season all the way up through just a couple weeks ago with the uh, FFA. And he's like, you know, you guys need to do a better job and I'm going to be watching you as I'm flying around the country in my private jet and nothing that's affecting everybody else affects me either. So... It's definitely funny to see how this administration has uh, worked it in regards to legitimizing their policies. They pretty much just deny, project, and then say whatever they're doing is working and they're doing a great job of it. So, And the, Calif- the California thing with the trucks, I mean, they were basically just attacking owner-operators. That's exactly what that was Correct. because Correct. they were – what was the stipulation? It was like trucks that were older than 2015 or 10 or something so like that? There are two different ones. So one is the gig law that was passed. I, th- I think that was AB 29, but I might have that wrong. Um, and that was basically that if you're an owner operator of your own truck, you had to become part of a trucking company or you had to start filing a whole bunch of new taxes and regulations to basically put guys out of business. Mm-hmm. The law that went into effect on January 1st of this year said that any truck with an engine older than 2010 mm-hmm. uh, could no longer operate uh, in California, uh, especially within the ports. And now the ports are actually looking to go to um, total green trucks. I think it's by 2030, which... One, they'll not be there, be able to do that. And two, they won't be able to charge the trucks. And so we'll just circling back to the same thing again. And it comes down to the virtue signaling of the state legislature, especially in California, mm-hmm. are a bunch of people who've never had to worry about a truck showing up because they've got people to do their shopping for them. Yeah. I think AAA will be excited about that. They're going to be towing a lot of trucks off the side of the road. <laughs> they certainly will. With their diesel trucks. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Well, you know, Jim, we do definitely want to talk to you about some of the, the, the work that you've done recently, especially down over at the National Pulse. Uh, you know, you, you wrote a great article talking about something that's on the minds of a lot of Americans right now. It's not like, you know, continuing the thread of not being able to get a straight answer out of this current administration is whether or not we're in a recession. If you're asking either Pete Buttigieg or Joe Biden or hearing Janet Yellen talking about it, they're saying absolutely not, even though they could see possibility of it coming down the road, but probably not still. And uh, when Americans either like go to the grocery store, go to the gas pump, or try to do anything outside of the normal scope of their ever, average everyday lives, they're getting hit harder than they've gotten hit in a really long time. Can you let our listenership know a little bit about this article? It's titled Another Biden Era Recession That Looms in 2023. The question is, how long and how painful? Yeah, so the, the latest inflation numbers were at 6.5%, 6.3%, and people got really excited about that, saying, you know, inflation's coming down. No, it's not coming down, just the rate of growth is coming up, and or is not as fast as it was. And I'll give a good example for this. If over Thanksgiving, I ate a whole bunch of food and gained 10 pounds, 
And then over Christmas, I ate a little bit less and gained five pounds. I'm not losing weight. I'm just getting fatter slower. <laughs> right. So, and that's kind of what's happening with the economy right now is we're, we're, we're getting poorer a little bit slower than we were before, but still, do you want to give me six and a half percent of your paycheck? I don't think you do. And if you look at what I call the basket of needs, which is shelter, food, and energy, those are still up over double digits. Yeah. And those are things that people need every single day. And those three categories, food, shelter, and energy, for the typical middle-class family, that eats up 66% of their household budget. So 66% of their household budget is up double digits, and wage rates are only up about 35 to 4.5%, depending on the industry. So people are, are losing money and they're hurting. And it's, it's really, in, in, in an interesting way, it, it's hurting Biden's constituents the most. So I was a little bit surprised by what we saw in the midterm elections. But, uh, you know, I, I think it's going to be a, a, a interesting time here. My, my prediction is, if you look at what's happening right now, it's very similar to what was happening in 1969, way back in the Stone Ages. And we had a period of sustained inflation. We had very low unemployment at about 3.5%. And we went into an 11-month recession, and GDP went down about a percent. If we can pull that off, this will, that'll be a great win. It'll have nothing to do with the government. It'll just have to do with the natural business cycle. I think we're probably going to go a little bit deeper because the Fed tends to um, continue to raise rates a little bit too long, and then they tend to overcorrect on the backside. So we'll see what happens. But let's pray for a soft landing, but let's prepare for a hard crash. Mm. And that's the thing, you know, you talk about those, the 6.3% uh, inflation rate being a little bit down combined to where it was, you know, over seven, not too long ago. But when it, when it contrasts against the, the amount of, you know, th this, this administration has done a great job of carpet, um, compartmentalizing uh, the way that they get their numbers out there. It goes from everything to, to jobs to things just to have to do with the economy. And, and like you said, like they'll, they'll give inflation numbers, but they'll leave out things like the cost of energy. And then they'll tout how there's like a slight dip and stuff like that. Now, what, what I wanted to ask you was, in contrast to how this economy is dealing with itself right now and the jobs numbers that we're continuing hearing, we're hearing that this is the greatest jobs president in the history of the galaxy. We all obviously know that that's not true. Uh, but the fact of the matter is, is that the jobs market right now has to be contributing to, you know, which direction the economy, especially on whether or not we're going to be in a real recession goes. We also see some of the, you know, big factors that confirm recession, like the negative non or slight growth of the GDP over multiple quarters. In addition to that, now you're seeing some of the, the mega corporations doing mass layoffs and, and, and consolidating down. So when you look at some of those factors right there, how can we not admit that if we're, we're like toes to the line or in the beginning of a recession right now? Oh, absolutely. And if you, if you look, you know, the unemployment rate is, is such a lagging indicator. Uh, and, and if you listen to how the, the experts, when they declare a recession, they never say we're in a recession as of today. They say we entered a recession four months ago, right? So their, their, their ability to look forward is very bad. So they have to look backwards and they'll come out and say the U.S. entered a recession. You know, they'll come out and say that we did it in December of 2022, for example. Um, we're starting to see massive layoffs. So high tech last week announced over 60,000 jobs uh, being cut. Uh, mostly white collar. But what you're starting to see over the last week, though, is uh, industrial jobs, blue collar jobs going away. Ford is laying off about 3,500 people in Germany, of all places. Uh, we're starting to see other uh, blue collar folks lay people off. Candle Corporation of America just laid off a whole bunch of people. So 
uh, your scented bath candles are going to have to take a back seat for a while. <laughs> but what's what's what, what's happening though is we also you combine the, the 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 start of the layoffs with the historic lows that we have in labor force participation rate. Yeah. The labor force participation rate right now is at a near historic low. A lot of folks during COVID said, you know what, it's not worth it. Or in my opinion, a lot of moms saw what their schools were teaching their kids and said, you know what, I'm not going back to work. I'm going to stay on top of my school board and make sure that my kids aren't being taught the crazy things that they saw them being taught during COVID. So we have fewer people in the workforce. We're starting to see those people get let go. And you know, if you've been to the grocery store, we are in a recession. I'm sorry. And mm -hmm. what we're going to see is, is we're going to start to see stagflation. We're going to see very low growth with high inflation. And I think that we're going to see the Fed continue to raise interest rates probably through May, a quarter point in the time. So I see another uh, 75 basis points of uh, interest rate raise between now and May. And then I think they'll take a break. But I don't th think that they'll start to reduce interest rates until 2024 at the earliest. Which is, is very alarming because, you know, when you just see how much uh, you already talked about it, the 66, nearly 70 percent of, of, you know, a family's total income is going towards just those three things, food, fuel and shelter. Uh, and, and for the fact of the matter is that the economy continues to slow. The job participation rate is not being, you know, met in, in any kind of benchmark quality. And uh, we're, we're heading into the coldest part of the year right before we hit the spring. It, it just looks to seem like uh you know, a, a disastrous recipe for destruction, which moves me to my last point. I don't know how much it connects. You're going to have to kind of do it for our audience. But we do see, you know, in addition to the way the government has been able to, uh, you know, really make it tough for, for hardworking families out there and the demographic of those families that are getting touched by this continues to grow. Like you said, there's a lot of white collar jobs that are being affected right now. It's not just the construction workers and stuff like that, but we have a, a pretty big showdown regarding the debt ceiling debate and, and raising the rate, which which may have seemed to be standard over the course of other presidencies, but just based off the fact of this current economy, the global supply chain and where it's at, the fact that we probably are already in a recession, and you know how this government's policies have really been a contributing factor to tanking all this. Where do you see that debate and uh, something that needs to be resolved by the early summer? I think June is the date that we set before we start seeing government shutdowns and stuff like that, which could contribute all to the economy as well, uh, going before we, uh, you know, really get into some trouble. So I would really like to see Kevin McCarthy sit back and tell the Democrats, bring me your plan. I'm not going to do anything. And if you don't bring me a plan by June, then the government's going to shut down. And that's how it's going to be. They're going to have to go through some political backlash, but people are going to forget. And if you think about every time the government shuts down, anyone who is put out of work for one, two or three days, they always come back to work and they always get their back pay. So, you know, it impacts someone who maybe had a, a trip planned to a national park that can't get into the national park. But McCarthy needs to put this on to the Democrats and make the Democrats own it. Come with a plan to cut spending uh, I don't want to raise the debt limit. I think they're going to end up having to do it anyway, but it needs to be accompanied by, by spending cuts in a longer term plan and actually then coming back and doing, oh, I don't know, having the government submit a budget for Congress to review and approve. How about that? We start doing that again. Yeah, these uh, continuing resolutions and omnibuses that we seem to have lived off of, especially the last one where, you know, in almost a 
terms of desperation, you saw a lot of the Republican senators and, and House representatives just kind of deconstructing this offer. You saw like legitimate severance packages for departing Congress people in regards to stuff for their district, all the way up to things that just had absolutely nothing to do with it, or were portions of bills that were killed in the House earlier on that they're just kind of sneaking in saying, well, we got to keep the lights on, so we're just going to sneak this in there and see what happens. But exactly. uh, it, it, it is very alarming. We, we are also in the, in the demographic here of hoping that Kevin McCarthy holds the line. It seems like to this point right now, he's like already offered, like, I would like to see the plan and I'm willing to negotiate. But, you know, Joe Biden's out there talking about his veto pen. And we all know that the people around him are the ones who make the actual decisions. So hopefully it's, I mean, not Janet Yellen and her soon to be five federal retirements. And it's some of the other people who, uh, know that they're probably going to be living a little bit longer than her and have to, you know, go out and, and do their lives within this economy. Jim, this has been awesome seeing now with you for the first time today. We're going to have you back at some point soon because we got a bunch of other stuff to talk about. You were sending me some articles throughout the week that I was checking out, and I definitely think our listenership would uh, benefit from them. If we're looking to find you across social medias or some of your websites besides the National Pulse, which we'll link in the show description today, where can we find you? Oh, best place to get me um, is on Twitter, and my Twitter handle is at Jim6555. That's capital J-I-M, 6555. And you can also see me on Substack. Awesome. We'll live link everything in the show description today. And we will be looking to have you back really soon. Supply chain consultant, expert in all things related to the economy as far as I'm concerned. Jim Nels, thanks for joining us on the show today. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. So only 8% of Democrats think Biden has done something illegal. Okay, you might expect that. But a quarter of Republicans, 25%, think that Trump did something illegal. So there is more belief that Trump did something illegal here across the board than did Biden. That is really fascinating. I'm going to get you back on track on your slide. <laughs> That's okay, Sorry. I, you think- I can jump around however you want. <laughs> we know you can. But, but I, I wonder, though, David, what you just showed us has to do a lot with how Americans feel about how the Biden White House has responded to this versus yeah. how the Trump uh, team, no longer the White House, but the Trump team... Uh, lack of immediate response, shall we say. Well, let's just look at the Biden situation. How has this White House handled this? 57% of Americans disapprove of the handling of this situation uh, from the, the Biden White House. When you look at that, By party, as you would expect, 85% of Republicans disapprove of the way Biden's handled it, 62% of independents, but only 26% of Democrats. Again, it's not an insignificant chunk of his own party. It's a quarter of it, of his own party that disapproves of his handling. But the vast majority of Democrats Mm -hmm. think Biden has handled it well. And I'll just show you guys, in terms of impact on Biden's overall standing, we're not seeing much of it. Mm -hmm. His approval rating overall... 45%. That's about where it was in December before any of this uh, came to light. So we're not seeing an actual political damaging moment necessarily for him. And look at where Biden sizes up among his modern era predecessors with that 45% approval. He's right here between Clinton, who was at 47%, got elected to a second term. Carter, at this point in his presidency, was at 43%. We know he did not get elected uh, to a second term. Uh, Biden sitting right there between them. well, I don't know how Joe Biden survives uh, or, or is coming in with a 45% approval rating at this you know, point. There's in his no, presen- way. Yeah. no way. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, but the, the, I think the most alarming number there, they tried to bury it within all the other numbers they were throwing at you. They were throwing so many stats and, and pulling from so many demographics. 62% of independents do not approve of the way the Biden administration has handled the explosive reports of uh, – mishandling of classified material and sensitive documents. You know, as we're coming in off 
a segment on the economy. We're going to jump into this right now. And uh, it's, it's a story that's been continuing to do develop over the course of, you know, the last couple of weeks. And, and we've heard a lot of good takes on the show. Uh, you know, Cash Patel last week was talking at a Real America's Voice town hall in Long Island on a show. And, uh, you know, he went and, and said that this whole thing might not really be uh, an instance to delegitimize or the administrative state going after Joe Biden to get him out of there. This is going to kind of blow the lid off of the two-tier justice system and how corruptly places like the DOJ and the FBI have operated for so long. And now we're going to start to see some of that. Uh, a good friend of the show who's come on and provided insight on a lot of things. He he barely touched on it last time he was on with us, but he, he's gone around and uh, he's done Jenna Ellis's show and got into this a little bit more. He, he did a uh, big head Charlie show this week as well. That's uh Raheem Kassam was, was talking about this. And uh, I definitely think his take is one that kind of makes you think a little bit more outside the box than, than just, uh, you know, this is a get Joe Biden, like insert somebody like Gavin Newsom. Uh, there's actually a lot more to this than, uh, you know, people were thinking about right now. Let's hear it. I did a, um, I did a short podcast on my Substack. Um, there's my, my little plug for that. Um, yesterday when this happened, um, not least because of course, Mike Pence had already gone out there and said, no, I would never do this. I've never done this. And then sure enough, you know, transpires that he had. And, that, and that's interesting enough in and of itself. Um, I'm not sure why you would voluntarily offer that information if it were, if it were false or you knew in some way that it were false. So, so odd for, as far as that's concerned. But the bigger picture about all of this is, and you mentioned the Politburo earlier, and I think that's a really great word to use as far as the Washington, D.C. set is concerned, because what are they really trying to do here vis-a-vis uh, -vis declassification? They're trying to make it seem, and you've already seen the op-eds, The Guardian, The New York Times, I've read one in the Boston Globe as well uh, yesterday, that, that the declassification process is so dated and we shouldn't have to rely on these old men to not steal documents away from whichever government department or whatever part of Congress that they had ever worked in, and that everything is basically too old and white and pale and stale. And, and what we really need is a committee-driven approach to this, right? Which they mean a Politburo-driven approach to this. The people like Alexander Vindman should really be in charge of this. The national security <laughs> yes. apparatus in D.C. should decide what gets declassified. Well, what happens, Charlie, if the national security apparatus is in charge of releasing information pertaining to the national security apparatus? Come well, they on, hide their malfeasance. That. That's what happens. I think that's the broader um, brushstroke here, that they are trying to subsume power away from the commander-in-chief. That's an interesting take. <laughs> uh, that was a lot of apparatuses. But, uh. it, but at the same time, that's, you know, I, when, I, when I saw it, I messaged him and I said, you know, that's, that's an angle that I hadn't yet looked at, and I've tried to look at it from, from so many different angles on what, what's the there there. Because, you know, we've seen it extend to now are we going to start asking like every sitting senator for the last couple decades, like, hey, did you accidentally pack up some stuff and, and accidentally take it to your private residence that might accidentally be in storage? I mean, we had Matt Whitaker on the show last week and he talked about as the former acting U.S. attorney general, when he dealt with classified material, which was probably an overwhelming majority of the time for the highest profile cases that he worked on. And a skiff. I, that's where it started. And he said, listen, 
If, if it was stuff that ever made it to anywhere else outside of a skiff, that stuff was brought there and the person waited and was returned after we were done checking it out or using it for whatever need. He's like, there is no black and white. There's no gray area on how these things can make it to think tanks, uh, you know, corporate offices or your private residence without. And think tanks are just money laundering operations yeah. In, yeah. in politics. That's all they are. Yeah, it's severance packages, you know, either in between administrations or where you go for the uh, golden parachute. And, um, you know, the connectivity here to to Hunter Biden is becoming more apparent now that we've seen uh, a lot of people really examine some of those emails he sent and some of the language he used, which was had a lot of government ease in them, acronyms and just phrases that he used, which I guess are common to those which are, are, are part of classified material and government documents and stuff like that. So we really have to take into account here what's the bigger there there. And I think a big part of it is, is, is like Raheem alluded to, they're trying to delegitimize the, the, the process and in turn make it to where like, you know, a, a president's ability to do stuff like that is just not important anymore. We should have, you know, a bipartisan committee go and say what should be classified and what's not. And, and listen, on how the revolving door is in politics sometimes, especially with, like, members of the House and Senate, I don't know if you'd ever be able to get a, a, a you know, fair and partisan. Donald Trump, I know, wanted to look into a lot of the stuff regarding Spygate and Russiagate and Fast and the Furious throughout the course of his presidency. Would you ever have a bipartisan committee go and declassify those documents moving forward so that they could be made public to the American people? I don't think so. What do you guys think? I think it's difficult any way you slice it. I mean, a committee to figure out what's declassified, who's on that committee, bureaucrats, appointments. I mean, it's it's it, it's a it's a rough one. And then and, alternatively, sorry. Yeah. No, go ahead. What, like, what if this just turns into an excuse to just go raid people's places that they don't agree with. Yeah. Know? It's just like, well, we have to go look for classified documents. And then it's just like when, when they take documentation and stuff like that, that is private. And uh, what is it when it's uh, with the lawyer privileged? Right. Right. But they're still going to look at it. They're still going to take pictures of it. They're still going to, you know, scan copies of it. And then they have this information. Like, what? And right now we have two sets of rules because they raided executed a search warrant in a ridiculous way on a past president at Mar-a-Lago, right? Mm-hmm. With armed FBI agents. And then on the flip side, when the, uh, the the Biden papers comes out and Pence, all of a sudden the National Archives now are asking all of the recent past presidents and vice presidents to, hey, do me a favor, just go through your attic, go through your junk drawer, go through your porn collection and, and, and let us know if you have any any classified documents like where, where are the FBI search warrant teams banging on their doors, throwing their attorneys into the streets and demanding their cameras be turned off so they can do searches and all of their properties. So it, it, there's no consistency on any of it. And I don't know, I'm, is it a big distraction? It's, 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 it's wild. And it's, yeah, I mean, the only positive is that it's becoming more and more evident to the normies and just everyday Joe that like, Hey, you know, because, you know, one of my uh, repeat offenders in my inbox of my uh, social media, okay, that was one of their favorite things. Like, anytime they'd, I'd post something and they'd angrily message me or whatever, like, well, what about your boy with all the classified documents? It's weird. I haven't gotten any messages recently talking about no. classified documents. No. But, but, it's, but it's making people realize. It's like, well, they're doing the exact same thing, but actually this guy did it worse. 
at least the other guy had it locked right. up in an office. Like this guy's got it in the in the garage next to the oily towels. I'm going to correct you unless right there. You, unless you talk to Whoopi Goldberg on the View, then vice presidents had had the they they could declassify documents and you know Donald Trump is a, is a thief and Joe Biden is not he's a decent guy you know you have that narrative well, and Dr. Joe Biden is a brilliant doctor according <clears throat> to her brilliant brilliant who is a big Minecraft fan by the uh dresses she, she man those outfits are just bananas <laughs> don't even get me oh man my, my 10 year old is like does does this lady play Minecraft? When she sees, I show her a picture of it. I'm like, I don't know. Maybe she does. Maybe she's gonna bring back some of like the Star Trek, the Next Generation outfits. Well, the funny part is, is that the, <laughs> apparently Joe Biden's handlers fuck with her the same way that they fuck with him because she gets in front of the mirror. Does this look all right? Oh, no, man. fucking fantastic, gorgeous. Yeah. So I get Jackie Kennedy vibes I, off of that. I one. never, I never would have even imagined that shade. So Alan did mention, you know, we, we have names for people like that on the show. Whoopi Goldberg, Job of the Hut, bring me the Wookie. Yep. And then Noah mentioned uh, Donald Trump's residence, uh, Mar-a-Lago. Remember, it's uh, his ultra secure and safe private residence. That's how we refer to it now. In I thought you were say Mar-a-Lardo. <laughs> that was a great one too. Sticking in the thread of Mar-a-Lago and and what happened there, uh, one of the House Republican leaders, Lisa Stefanik, she she held a press conference this week, kind of a town hallish. She was taking some questions too, and she was talking about that two tier justice system in the FBI raid. Let's hear her. Concerns we've seen it with former President Donald Trump, with Biden, the tense that you know some of the top leaders just aren't handling classified information at all. Should there be some sort of reforms with how? Well, let's highlight the difference here in what the consequences have been. You had the FBI raid Mar-a-Lago. You did not see any of that happen for President Joe Biden, uh, who illegally did this. What also is different is President Trump, as president, has the right to declassify documents. So the media should cover the fact that the FBI has been weaponized against President Trump and clearly uh, has covered up for uh, sitting President Joe Biden. And, you know, the point she's trying to make there, and it's one that a lot of people, they, they miss, like, the, uh, the the actual number one point that should be made in this conversation. And the DOJ's justification on their behalf, what they have said in regards to the Mar-a-Lago raid, even though supposedly the President Trump's legal team was working directly with NARA, directly with the DOJ, was the fact that they wanted to make this a spectacle because as the president who was exiting office, he supposedly signed some documentation that he confirmed that all classified or sensitive material was returned to where it was supposed to be and that, you know, that was the fact of the matter. But in Joe Biden's case, there is no legal basis for him to be in possession of any of these, whether it be as vice president of the United States under Barack Obama or as a sitting U.S. senator. Which means, like, when, when you just line up just the stats, the names, what's there, the locations, etc., you put the titles underneath them. Now you take somebody that knows nothing about the situation and say, okay, do me a favor, pin this card on the person where the FBI raid should have been. <laughs> it's always going to be Joe Biden. Because all you have to do is, is have the basic common knowledge is, that a, a, a sitting or former president has the right to declassify these materials and a vice president and a senator does not. Yet we've seen, uh, you know, what, what took place at Mar-a-Lago and uh, 
Marlardo. You know, where are Mar- the documents that were in these empty top secret files that were found at Marlardo? I mean, that's real. <laughs> It's never getting old, and it's so great that it's real. So he actually beat the Simpsons to that one because that would have been a great one as well. Uh, Someone who's getting ready to to crack open a case of investigations on the Biden crime family sat down with Maria yesterday. That's uh, House Representative James Comer. Let's hear him talk about Hunter Biden's connection to uh, all this stuff. The fact that the Biden family, Hunter and company, have taken tens of millions of dollars from Chinese officials, which we know because of the evidence on the laptop. And if there is a connection to these documents. There most certainly is a connection. Uh, we're investigating that. Uh, we're investigating the Biden family for influence peddling. And when you learn that Joe Biden has uh, countless classified documents scattered all over the East Coast, then that's concerning. When you learn who moved those documents and you learn that Hunter Biden was in charge of uh, picking the people out to pack the boxes and transport the boxes from point A to point B, then it's a concern. When you see that this White House won't be transparent with the American people about A, what type of classified documents they have, and B, who actually had access to those classified documents, then you you begin to feel the, the concern for our national security. So we most certainly are investigating the document scandal as a part of our overall Biden family influence peddling investigation. You guys think Hunter Biden's going to be called uh, before Congress and sit through like 28 hours of grilling a la Don Jr. Over when they did the Russiagate investigation and basically accused him of treason? I'm, I'm hoping that uh, uh, Republicans will uh, subpoena him to come in, but you know, why not just why not just come in and he he sits there and pleads the fifth for every question? I mean, there's no no stopping that, but they they should have a lot of people in. Everyone surrounding Joe Biden, everyone, everyone. Can they can they subpoena the first lady? Is she covered by any uh, any type of uh, any executive uh, privilege? <laughs> well, we're gonna have to get in with that with Matt Whitaker next time he's on the show. Yeah, you know, uh, and and one of the things is it's uh, just gonna be like, is this your homework, Larry? Is this your homework? <laughs> we uh, we we always want you guys to do your own research. One of the one of the phrases that always comes up when they talk about the Biden crime family is influence peddling. And although we could probably lay it out for you pretty easily, you should go and do a little deep dive on that because that's a very interesting, uh, you yes. know, phrase that's associated with that family throughout the course of their uh, business dealings. And that just doesn't, you know, I'm not just talking about Ukraine. I'm talking about stuff that's gone on in China, stuff that's gone on in Russia, and for a lot of people who don't know. You know, Joe Biden's brother is a huge advocate for uh, track homes in Iraq. So he's made quite a pretty penny off of those over the course of his uh, industrial career. Mm. Yeah. Research art prices, too. Ooh, yeah, that's another thing. Oh, yeah. I know the House (laughs) representatives are definitely looking into. So Ron John was weighing in on this. And and where James Comer talked about the influence paneling, he took it to a different level and wanted to uh, bring Burisma into it, which is where Hunter Biden kind of worked. Let's hear him. Uh, what's very interesting is uh, the news reports now are, are highlighting an email that Hunter wrote to Devin Archer on April 13th, 2014. Uh, it reads, from my standpoint, uh, I mean, I've traveled overseas, and you get uh, what they call scene setters from the State Department. It reads like one of those scene setters. Uh, highly detailed information in terms of Ukraine. This is when uh, Devin Archer and, and uh, Hunter Biden were trying to get on the board of Burisma and you know get their two, you know three four million dollars worth of payday, uh, trying to show prove their worth. But April thirteenth, 
Three days later, Vice President Biden meets with Devin Archer in the White House. Then President Biden goes to Ukraine and he's listed as the, you know, the face of the Biden administration to Ukraine. April 22nd, uh, Devin Archer joins the board of Burisma. Sometime soon after that, uh, Hunter Biden joins the board. So this is all happening in April. It's obvious that Hunter Biden is selling access to information. And does that have anything to do with some of the classified documents that uh, Vice President Biden was squirreling away in his residence? I don't know, but it looks incredibly suspicious. But we're starting to stitch together this uh, sordid story of sleaze and corruption. <laughs> I like it. I like sleaze it, too. And sleaze and And that's the thing. Like, we're... we're there's so many layers to this, you know, it's, it's the legitimacy of the classification process and things that, you know, people like Raheem Kassam have weighed in on. It's, it's Cash Patel's narrative that this is not a deep state plan to overthrow Joe Biden and make him even more of an illegitimate president uh, heading into the 2024 campaign. This is probably something that's going to look back at how, you know, over the course of time, the DOJ is so biasly uh, conducted themselves in, in their operations and the way, that you know they're they're trying to take care of of situations like this, and we we just can't take for granted the fact that you know you have something like the harassment that's gone on to Donald Trump since since he's come down the golden escalator, all the way up till now, and uh, you you have the kid gloves that the I mean it, the press is beating up Joe Biden on a little bit more of a of 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 a normal basis than they had been in the past. I mean you know. The, the whole White House press pool today, I didn't even want to pull clips from it. The whole thing was like, when is Joe Biden going to talk to us about documents? Why is right. Ron Klain resigning? Which you're probably going to want to garrison me, Noah. KJP said she's always been a claniac. A what? Claniac. Ron Klain, she's a claniac. Oh. A claniac? Yeah. Really? And is that like a believer? She does kind of look like one of the animaniacs. Yeah. Oh. And, uh, you know, and, and they then they talked about, I don't know if you guys heard... It wasn't just a one-time deal last weekend in Atlanta, Georgia. Apparently, several major cities across the United States are getting ready. Not only is Donald Trump getting ready to kick off rally season this Saturday, but it's also the start of riot season. Ooh. So, yeah, we're, we're going to be having some coast-to-coast -coast, uh, Antifa raids. And while, and while we're getting ready to wrap on the show here, or at least in the news portion of it, we're going to hear one more clip. And uh, before we sit down with uh, Trump attorney Alina Haba, and she's going to get into a little bit more uh, of of kind of the nitty gritty on some of this from the legal side. But let's hear from Texas Senator Ted Cruz, who was on with Kudrow yesterday and was essentially on the warpath. Then this shifts from a political problem to a very serious problem of criminal liability and, and major crimes. And so the FBI needs to search the University of Delaware archives and they need to search Hunter Biden's home and business address. Um, just as an addendum to this, the news came out today, I'm sure you saw it, that uh, former Vice President Mike Pence, a friend of both of ours, he's found some classified documents, uh, I think at his home in Indiana, not in his office. Uh, what do you make of that? Is this different from the Biden story? Does this complicate the story? Are we going to continue the bull market in special counsels? I'd <laughs> rather have a bull market in stocks than in special counsels. How do you see it, yeah. Senator Cruz? 
Oh, look, the, the Mike Pence story, it's still early. Uh, you know, Mike Pence, and as you noted, he, he is a good friend. He's a good man. He's explained where these came from. What his office has put out is, is, is that in packing up the vice presidential offices, that, that there were a couple of papers that were classified that were inadvertently put with non-classified materials. That was a mistake, but there's no reason uh, to think it was anything but inadvertent. That is very different from what Joe Biden has done. Joe Biden has given zero explanation as to how these classified documents got there. And in particular, he has given no explanation as to how he has documents from his time in the Senate. Friends, I want to take a minute and talk to you about cigars. Whether you're on the golf course, fishing on the lake, or doing some yard work around the house, our friend Alan has got you covered. He's launched the Patriot Cigar Company. The tobacco is hand-picked in the fields of Nicaragua, right next to where Mike Lindell picks his coffee beans. The cigars are hand-rolled each three years. If you get a promo code STAKE here, you're going to get 15% off your total order. Every order over $100, free shipping, and a $10 e-gift card is included with every purchase. MyPatriotCigars.com, that's MyPatriotCigars.com, a premium smoke for freedom-loving patriots. All right, coming in next on the show, she's an attorney who works with the 45th President of the United States. Coming back on Steak for Breakfast again, Miss Alina Habba, thanks for joining us on the show. Happy to be here, guys. Thank you for having me. Well, it's always our pleasure. How's everything going with you? I'm assuming busy as uh, President Trump's getting ready to hit the road again. That's right. We're excited. Kick off the campaign. I cannot wait. Yeah, so are we. We uh, have been keeping track of those policy videos he's been dropping over the course of the last couple months, but uh, it's it's long overdue since the midterm election season to have rally season come back, and uh, we're excited for that. We did want to talk to you today about, you know, something that we've been pretty prevalent in our uh, bringing of the news here, and that's the Joe Biden document scandal. Uh, we've, we've seen this thing originate, kind of grow, and now has gotten out of control on, on many different levels. Uh, we've also seen connectivity to a whole bunch of different people, ones that you might not think, uh, you know, are aligned with it, like Mike Pence, all the way over to ones that you probably would assume would be involved with stuff like this, like Hunter Biden. What are you seeing right now as far as uh, right. this thing kind of maturing, and where do you think it's going? I think that any possibility that there would be any charges brought against a president, a former vice president, um, or anybody relating to this document and, uh, you know, NARA issue is very slim to none at this point. I think what they need to do, frankly, is stop wasting taxpayer dollars, take their mindset, look and examine what is happening in the country and reevaluate the whole document, um, process for those that are leaving the White House. It looks to me like there's a procedural issue that seems to keep coming up. GSA packs up presidents, removes things. The president, President Trump, was the only one that had the protections in place to do so, declassify, had the Presidential Records Act. Um, and, and we're looking at people like Biden, who's careless beyond. So I think you know, we had sock drawers with the Democratic Party. Now right. we have a, a crackhead son living in the in the <laughs> house with boxes in a in a garage. You know, I mean, it doesn't get worse than that. Donald Trump had them in Mar-a-Lago securely. There's a clear problem when it comes to what people are doing with these documents when they leave office. That needs to be put into place in some sort of concrete protocol so this doesn't keep happening. It's a waste of time. We need to focus on real problems. We've got a lot of real problems in this country. That is not one of them. No, we, we certainly do. And, you know, one of the things that I, that I think uh, 
because of the people that are involved, especially Joe Biden as the sitting president, and you know, we saw some of the things mm-hmm. that came out early, which were, you know, things that were classified that came into his possession while he was the vice president. But now we're going all the way back to his senatorial days. And then when you see stuff like Mike Pence, regardless of what your narratives are or what your feelings towards him may be, you know, it's like sweet, nice, does everything the right way, Mike Pence. How could this happen? Then you, you know, you you add the component of the GSA, which is kind of like, you know, just an, a whole other entity that does the actual pack up and move and then break down at the place of wherever it's going to be an office or a think tank or your personal residence and stuff like that. Uh, do you think that the Democrats right now, because they've been caught with their hands so far into the cookie jar, are trying to number one, normalize this behavior, and number two, which kind of alarms a lot of our listenership, I know, 100%, normalize, like, classified documents being out in, like, the public like they are now, uh, with Joe Biden having them in offices and multiple homes and stuff like that. Do you do you think that they're they're moving towards maybe seeing, like, uh, having a way to, to streamline, like, some of our country's most sensitive materials just being out in the open? I don't think they're trying to normalize classified documents being out. I think they deny that it's a consistent problem point. What I do think is that they definitely want to take Biden down because he's not good for their party. And Biden will never win against Donald Trump. It's an impossibility. So that's what I think. I think this was a strategic move by the Democrats. They are incredibly corrupt, as we know, on many instances. And I think they're running out of options. I think it's just clear that Joe Biden has uh, said that, you know, he didn't have anything. He has it. And he is intentionally, I think, being removed as a Democrat leading uh, presidential nominee. I don't think he has a chance of doing it. And he said that he's going to do it. So I think what they had to do was take him down in a way that removed him because they know he can't beat Trump. Frankly, I can't think of anybody right now that could beat Trump. Oh, he has definitely surged in the polls again. How much did it alarm you when that story broke a little over a week ago um, about the Hunter Biden emails and in questions to where some of these originally found classified materials in the countries they were connected to? You obviously have the UK and uh, mm-hmm. Iran and then Ukraine, which has been you know one of the Democrat Party's biggest money laundering machines for a long time now. And some of the government ease language he used in those emails would which would make me seem he was almost cutting and pasting pieces of possibly classified material which he had read to kind of help in the assistance of lining his own pockets with ukrainian money Uh, how much did it shock me is your question zero zero (laughs) we've got pictures we've got pictures that if it was don jr sitting on a bed with hookers and, and a crack pipe we'd never hear the end of it i mean they tried to to get the guy on treason and he didn't do anything wrong, but Hunter Biden, it's fine. And now he's a hundred percent involved. We know this. We know that he's had communications with Joe Biden and China and calling him the lead guy. You know, they have code words. This is not a surprise. It should not be a surprise. It's just more proof that people in the left-wing media will ignore and more proof that they are the Biden corrupt uh, crime family and things need to be. Now that's something we should spend our taxpayer dollars on looking at that corruption. Cause that is not okay. It is un-American. No. And it's something that's been going on for apparently an extremely long time. When you look at some of these documents going back to Joe Biden's senatorial days, that's before two whole times he served within the Obama administration and gives a whole nother five years before he became president. W- what is the Trump team preparing for in regards to the ruling coming down in the recent Georgia investigation from the 2020 presidential election? Um, I think that, um, you know, 
the truth is, I have no idea what's going to happen in Georgia. You know, I'm not handling that case. I think that they, they concluded the, the grand jury. We saw the report out of the grand jury. Um, they're saying that they found some wrongdoing, but I don't think they have evidence to pull it all the way to Donald Trump. And I'm not sure what they would. The call was perfect. There was um, attorneys on the call as we know, and the call continued more than just the clip that we've heard. So I won't speak to something that's not uh, really something I'm fully briefed on. I think that no matter what it is, we have to remember that everything happening to the Trumps, their organization, their family is political. To use my client's words, it is a witch hunt. And at the end of the day, they have not been able to take him down because he has not done anything wrong. So they'll just keep trying to tap, 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 and we will just keep slamming them back. It doesn't matter. Yeah, we do like to remind our listenership on on quite a frequent basis that Donald Trump was the master of not only making perfect phone calls, but his ultra secure private residence down at Mar-a-Lago is just as such when it comes to storing classified documents or anything related, which he might have declassified since his time being the president. Alina, this was great catching up with you today. We know you're busy. I mean, you're literally going from the plane to your next destination and then on <laughs> wherever else you're going. But you did take time to come in and, and give us some insight on what's going on uh, legally with the Trump team right now on Steak for Breakfast, and we appreciate that. Anyone that's not following you on social media, where can we live link you in the show description today? Uh, Alina Haba, my name. That's for every every social media that you go. Just just put my name in. Hopefully there's no, no fake accounts left anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta love those. We look forward to sitting down with you again soon, and uh, we wish you the best of luck. Thank to- you. Take care. This is the attorney for President Trump, Ms. Alina Haba. Thanks for joining us on the show. Thanks, guys. Not too bad of a way to end the week. What do you think, Noah? The week is over. And I want cookies. Don't want to rain on anybody's parade. <laughs> Didn't make it into the show today, but we're still able to bring it to you. Ronna McDaniel is being re-elected to her fourth consecutive term as RNC chair. She won by a considerable margin. I believe it was 111 to 54. And uh, so, yeah, pre-baked, confirmed. Uh, If you enjoyed this episode of the Steak for Breakfast podcast and you want to hear the now over 200 other editions of the show, you can find us across every downloadable podcasting platform. We're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean, iHeartRadio, FM Player, Podaddict, and Google Podcasts. Subscribe to the show and rate it. Leave a review. And don't forget to download, listen, like, follow, and share Steak for Breakfast content. Show credits go to all of our amazing guests today. We sat down for the first time with uh, supply chain expert Jim Nels. International correspondent Norbin Laden joined us. Former acting ICE director Tom Holman was here. And Trump attorney Alina Haba joined us as well. Thank you for help making steaks great again. Speaking of which... Make sure you're going out and contributing to our partners because you want to make small American businesses great again as well. Namely, my pillow. Everybody loves sleep. Most of us like coffee. Mike Lindell's got you taken care of. Even though we only got four votes in the RNC chair bid, Oof. he's still delivering big, big savings when you enter promo code steak at checkout. If you want anything sleep related, it's mypillow.com forward slash steak. If you want the coffee, it's mystore.com forward slash steak. Or you could always talk to a qualified pillow representative. 1 800 658 80. 45. The top tier of ear gear, the best damn headphones that I've ever owned, can only be found at Odyssey. If you're in the studio, you're recording, maybe some podcast, you want to make the investment. Odyssey.com is the website. You can check them out on Facebook and Instagram as well. Man Rubs. That's a Man Rubs chicken last night. It was delicious. It's the best uh, accompanying partner to all of your entree in the protein departments as well. Enter promo code steak there. You're going to get a discount. Manrubs.com is the website. You can find them on Facebook and Instagram as well. My Patriot Cigar Company, our good friend Alan has got you taken care of if you like to enjoy some of those. 
Get in promo code STAKE here. You're getting 15% off your order. Every order over 100 bucks. Free shipping. $10 e-gift card included with every purchase. MyPatriotCigars.com, a premium smoke for freedom-loving patriots. And our newest addition to the family, Farmer Bill's Beef Jerky. You enter promo code STAKE here. You're getting 5 bucks off. You order a 12-pack, free shipping. Check them out at FarmerBill'sProvisions.com. Upcoming shows. We'll be back on Tuesday. Congressman Max Miller is going to be here. So is Congressman Eli Crane. We're going to sit down with former Trump assistant Theo Wold. Kevin Kiley might be rescheduling as well. Cash Patel will be here on the 3rd of February, as will Congressman Mike Collins. We're also going to be circling back. I know Noah's excited for this one with Jake Denton of the Heritage Foundation. Nice. John Solomon will be here on the 10th of February. And you guessed it, Christina Bob is our Valentine on the 14th. Always. Friends of the week. Our Truth Social Twitch streamer crew, Beastie Man 420, Siberian Kitten. Also, some call me Tim79 had some great shares this week. Nightwing X and Magaspud were critical on Twitter. And I always love Garrison Ghost Hammer. Oh, got him. Scissor me timbers. Then we'll, let's talk about some of the meme team. Memeemar, mostly peaceful, and my Willow memes came in hot this week. Across all social medias. In addition, so did Namrock Namrock. Hispanics for DeSantis came back with a force. They liked probably over 100 of our posts and shared a couple more. Uh, Johnny Maga. Spoopy. Decker's Runway, William S. And the Awkward Mama. Guys, thanks for remember between now and next week. Number one, do your own research. I already gave you guys some homework. Influence peddling. You want to become very familiar with it moving forward as we're getting ready to start these congressional inquiries. Number two, start a podcast. Not too bad. Number three, let's start talking about American greatness again. We talked about it a lot today. We covered a lot of subjects on this show. And last but certainly not least, especially since we're getting ready to kick off rally season and riot season, let's see what happens. This has been episode 208 of the Steak for Breakfast podcast. And we'll be back with 209 on Tuesday. Max Miller, Eli Crane, Theo Wald, and maybe... Kevin Kylie will all be here. On behalf of the pod team, including Alan Jacoby, who joined us today, I'm Roan. Noah? Later. Thanks for listening. Have a great weekend, and take care. When you get that damn dog in the truck, you can put the hammer down, because by that time, uh, that Smokey will have gone by you.